Hi, everybody, and welcome to At the Devil's Ball, a, uh, a very special episode, um, and uh, why it will get to in just a moment. Uh, I am Nathaniel, and with me, as always, is... Samuel, how you doing? Good, good. And uh, so the reason why this is different this week is we've got... Um, this is not different. We've had them on many times, and we've been on their show many times, but we have the guys from Invasion of the Podcast here with us. Uh, we got Paul Stedman and Steve King. How are you guys? Uh, good, good. I'm I'm ready to talk some Sutter Kane. Uh, I'm waiting for the comic adaptation. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, so, what what's different about this one is we're doing both uh, at the Devil's Ball and Invasion of the Podcast at the same time. So, in a few minutes, once we finish all the intro, um, you're going to hear the Invasion of the Podcast intro on this recording. So, uh, to give you an idea of what Paul and Steve do uh, on their show. Um, and uh, but as always, we'll start with uh, Sam real quick. Do you want to do the vitals? Yeah, sure. Okay. It's uh, in the mouth of madness. Was directed by John Carpenter. Written by Michael DeLuca. Starring Sam Neill as John Trent, Jurgen Prochnow as Sutter Kane, Julie Carmen as Linda Stiles, David Warner as Doctor Redden, John Glover as Saperstein, Bernie Casey as Robinson. Peter Jason as Mr. Paul, Charlton Heston as Jackson Harglow, and Francis Bay as Miss Pickman, and Wilhelm von Homburg as Simon, with a very, very small uh, role of the very young uh, Hayden Christensen as the paperboy. Yep. Yep. And so, uh, as always, what we do, um, I thought as a general, as as always, our warm up question. Um, mm-hmm. We'll start with you, Sam. What did uh, what did you watch this week? Uh, all I really watched this week was the back half of Andor, um, and that was that held it held up. Uh, it was there was a there's a a short story arc where he was in a prison, and it felt like real life. <laughs> it, they were building yeah <laughs> efficiency huh? efficiency efficiency right yeah yeah, yeah. they they all had to work you know and build these things these i don't even know what they were paul do you know what they were um, I, well i mean i don't want to spoil what we find out what they actually right, are right. so they, they look like big like like metal big like tables. like jacks like you would play like yeah. playing jacks but it'd be like you know if you made like the biggest jack in the world like right. that is like multiple arms and gears and you know it looks like someone were really close to shaking hands with danger if something went wrong yeah. like that's yeah, the kind of so. yeah um and so it was. Uh, it, it felt very realistic because uh, it felt like every job ever, you know, <laughs> where it's all efficiency and being stuck in in a hellhole. Uh, but that's what I watched. Uh, I still endorse it. I think it's a good show. I think it's worth watching. Uh, it's a little different than the other Star Wars stuff out there. Yeah, you were saying that last week with uh, you and Scott both talking about how it, you know it has no Jedi's and no Tatooine, right? So, um, it uh, which was exciting for both of you, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, Steve, what did you watch this week? Anything? And also tell us about uh, your uh, uh, your comic again, as well. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I Always don't. I don't know that I've uh, I've watched anything worth of note here that uh, to talk about. I've watched a. A lot of YouTube tutorials this week uh, for art stuff. And uh, speaking of art stuff, I do a comic book with a partner, uh, 
one of my oldest friends, a gentleman by the name of Ryan Cassandy. We do a comic called The Saturday Night Slasher. Uh, you can visit our website, thesaturdaynightslasher.com. Uh, or if you want to buy an issue, you can go to our Etsy store, which, which is The Art of the Slash. But the, the quick pitch for The Saturday Night Slasher is, is it's essentially an 80s slasher just set in contemporary times done as a comic book. Very cool. And Paul, what did you watch this week? Well, first and, I just uh, wanted, I wanted tell to us about. Oh, sorry, go um, ahead, please. Nope, it's right. And uh, and of course, tell us about uh, your other podcast as well. Yeah, so I just want to point out that Steve did not jump at the statement of like uh, no Jedi, no whatever. You know, right? Exciting. So Steve, no Bespin, no Bespin Luke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Andor. I, I, like, know, I know you, you did. I, I I just don't get the point of view of like, hey, it doesn't have one of the things that makes it Star Wars. Let's celebrate <laughs> it. That's the thing that I get. You know, does Tatooine um, really make it Star Wars? Does it? Do we have no to have Tatooine? Is I'll I'll give a pass on that one. Okay, it's just okay. any time that Paul brings up the quote unquote space wizards, that's where right. things get. Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. So, Desmond Luke is not a space wizard. <laughs> um, but I mean, you got to collect them all. So, uh, no, like, yeah. Uh, so, obviously, Steve and I do Invasion of the Podcast, in which I goad him with questions like that or statements like that repeatedly. Um, we just recently did an episode. Well, we're going to do, we're going to be more comics focused. Like, I mean, meaning we've talked about comics. Steve loves comics. He creates a comic. I just, once a month, we're going to actually do a show that's more comics focused. Um, but we discovered, um, the 1997 crossover, the, the book that everyone's talking about these days, uh, Hulk versus Pitt. Um, and, um, and you know, the, the, um, the, the treasured history of Dale Keown and his, um, his always good thoughts and feelings about everything. Um, right. No, it was a lot of fun. We had uh, we had the El Goro uh, talk about rhythm on there as well. Wonderful talk. So we, we'll we'll be doing that a lot. Uh, and then the other show that I do is uh, called Strange Highways. Uh, I do it with my uh, my other podcast husband Terry, um, and we've been watching the Twilight Zone uh, in order. Uh, we're currently in the middle of the '80s series, and um, you know, if it wasn't for my love of the Twilight Zone, there's been some tough sledding going through the '80s yeah. series. Uh, we still have fun talking about it, though. And what'd you watch this week? Uh, well, the only thing I got to um, recently uh, was I ended up uh, watching The Menu um, a couple okay. days ago. Uh, and the, part of that was because I, I had a work meeting and like one of the things was like, you know, uh, what was the most recent film you watched? And like three or four people were like, they're like, we watched The Menu. And all of them said it was weird, as if that was like a negative statement. Right. Um, I loved the film. It is weird, mm -hmm. but that's that's a that's a feature, not a bug, you know, like it's, yeah. uh, and it's so it, it's such a steady hand with how ridiculous and pretentious it plays itself. But that's the point. Like, you know, like you, like when, when you see it, you'll know what I mean by it. And it's like, it is hoity toity, but there's a reason why it's being hoity toity through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is, it is, has some really funny bits, but also has some horrific bits, but I wouldn't call it like a horror movie. But I don't know. It's one of those movies that's like you can't really put it in a bucket because it's kind of its own thing. But it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, Anya Taylor Taylor Joy playing the lead. Um, you got um, Nicholas Holt in there as well. Uh, you have Voldemort playing the head chef uh, in there. So yeah, it's 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 a really fun movie, and I don't know. why. I enjoyed it. Too. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're going to be uh, we are going to be covering it next month. So okay. So I mean, am I um, am I off by off point like with your assessment of it? Like I think you know. Oh no! Okay. No, I I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, actually, you're the second person. Uh, our our friends, 
Scott Davis actually called said it was not a horror movie last week too, and I actually uh, disagree. I actually think it is. But um, all right, we're done but, now. Uh, we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I think it has. It has. I mean, it has. It's close enough at any rate. Um, but I guess um, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm interrupting you, but I, I, I'm stuck on people calling it weird. I don't think mm. it's weird. It's not like it's experimental or something. Like it's a good movie. I, I'm not saying that, but like, yeah. I always wonder about people when they'll describe a movie and you're like, that's what you took out of that? Like, I don't know. Right. It's it's just not the thing that I would use to describe that movie. So like, could, it's extremely well made. Uh, mm-hmm. Its content might be a little odd, but like, weird is not what I would think of when I think of that. So No, no. I mean, content-wise, it's, uh, it's, I mean, weird in compared to what, I guess. But it's like, you know, but yeah, it, it's, it's, at best, it might be a little unusual, but I mean, I looked at it and said, "Oh, it's basically just an adult fucked up, a fucked up adult uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory," and I was like, "Okay, you know, that works for me." Um, but it's not that weird. Uh, it, it, comparatively to other horror narratives, it actually is pretty straightforward. But yeah, yeah, but yeah so- we'll we'll be we'll be covering it, and that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, that's all I got to like other than um, wrestling. And then uh, later today, I'll right. be watching football because I'm a red blooded American, you know, dude. But so that's that's it. So, you know, I, I like the sports sometimes. So I'll be watching them later. Right. So manly. My God, uh, yeah, sir. I'm the most manly man ever. Turn it down. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're kind of out alpha in all of us um, right now. Okay. You want to speak, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I'm going to take this. I want to take this a little different direction real quick. Here's an admission. And it's so, um, you know, I'm 44. I've not, you know, I've, I've treated my bag, like my bag, my body, like it's a garbage bag. Right. So, mm. um, you know, so it was it two days ago I woke up and my, my, uh, my left foot was hurting like my, like around my, my big toe, like the knuckle. And I'm like, I've dealt with this before or whatever. It's not a big deal. And then it's like, it got, it was sore, like tender. But then yesterday it was like, I couldn't put any pressure on my foot. And it's like, I did the web deep stuff. It's like, I'm pretty, I, I have gout, right? It's like, I have the rich man's <laughs> disease. Um, and it's like, Oh, what, what causes gout? Oh, all the shit I've been eating and drinking. Oh, that's probably not great. So then yesterday I, um, I was hobbling around the house. I made a makeshift cane out of like a mop handle and like a rubber stopper from the bottom of a crutch. So yeah, that's how mainly I am that I was slowly, like I was brundle flying my way around my house (laughs) yesterday trying to get, you know, from the, like my recliner to my, to my refrigerator to obviously grab more things I shouldn't be eating mm-hmm. while watching wrestling. Right. So that's how yeah. manly I am, by the way. All right. Yeah. Just. <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> and for those of you who have not listened to invasion of the podcast, uh, you just got a small taste of all the things that we kind of do on our show, which is it's, take weird roads and it's mainly gout diversions related. during yeah. our conversation. Invasion of the podcast is mainly just gout related top topics. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, gout and apples. Yeah. <laughs> Fair Once food. Once a month, you do the wheel of flesh wounds. Yeah, know? wheel of flesh. Yeah, what was it uh, real wounds live or whatever that was called? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was just like, yeah, I'm just like, oh, I know I have gout. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I didn't I watch. Figured, I didn't watch much either this yeah. week. I, I um I actually had every intention of watching um Alcatraz, which was a short-lived uh, TV series starring Sam Neill that was made right after Lost. Um, I didn't get to it. Uh, I saw it back when it aired, and it wasn't very good, but I wanted to watch it again for this month, for, for Sam Neill month. But I didn't get to it. But I, I did do uh, my first ever staff screening um, at the theater that I now manage. 
Um, and um, we did Infinity Pool, and I I didn't care for it. So it was it was it was okay. I mean, like it was it was interesting looking. Um, although, as a friend of mine once said, uh, after we saw another Mia Goth film uh, years ago, uh, The Shape of Wellness, um, or yeah, I think that was what it was called. I can't remember now. I should have looked it up, but I guess, well, I don't really care. So it didn't. Um, but uh, anyway, it was, um, she had said, uh, it, they all look good now, though. And I'm like, that's very true. Uh, but it was okay. I mean, um, it had some good performances, but it just, it kind of left me cold. But um, I do recommend seeing it um, just for, you know, go see. That's a weird movie. Like, not the menu. Um, Infinity Pool is a weird movie. Um and so, I mean, that's kind of what I ended up getting to this week. Um, uh, I've just been busy. I'm still figuring out my schedule and what I can, what I have for time to watch it. Oh, I did want to bring up though. I did watch another Sam Neill movie. Uh, right after we watched, I watched In the Mouth of Madness with Laurie for the first time. We watched Dead Calm, which I had mentioned with you guys um, at some point recently. Um, and I think Paul had, had uh Sam left. Okay, what happened? Um, uh, but anyway, I mentioned it to Paul, and uh, Paul had compared it to some like roller skating picture or something with Nicole Kidman. Does this ring a bell? DMX Bandits is what he uh, compared it to. Okay, I didn't want to know about the dead calm part, but like, I mean, I did remember mentioning BMX Bandits during um, Body Bags, just because uh, that you said that was like you're talking about Nicole Kidman's first film, and I was like, I thought it was BMX yeah. Bandits. That's BMX what I was talking Bandits. about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't. It was not Nicole Kidman's first film. It was actually her. It was her first American film. Oh, um, so there we go. Thank you. She had worked. She had worked plenty for Friar. So maybe BMX Bandits was among it, but mostly she had done work in Australia and New Zealand. Um, but Dead Calm was a lot of fun. I, I hadn't seen it in decades, and I really, really ended up digging it. So I do recommend checking out Dead Calm. Um, it was. It was so much fun uh, because it didn't make any sense. I couldn't figure out for the life of me. If this movie had originally been uh, like a, a tawdry '90s uh, like sex thriller or a art film, and that, but then the other one kind of hijacked it. Like it was sort of like it was this art film. Suddenly it was like uh, if uh, uh, Michael Haneke had made um, like Basic Instinct. It was like really really weird. But anyway, that was fun. Uh, so I do recommend checking out Dead Calm. Uh, if you can find it, I think, I don't think it's on like Tubi and stuff anymore, but that's what I watched this week. Um, so as noted, uh, we're going to begin, um, here in a second, we will begin, uh, invasion of the podcast. Paul's going to, uh, queue up his stuff and, uh, we're going to, you're going to hear the intro to invasion of the podcast. So I, the only reason why I mentioned that is that if you were listening to at the devil's ball, do not think something has gone wrong <laughs> and turn off the episode. Um, we are are uh, or being uh, avant-garde meta, like the movie we're talking about this week. Uh, and so we're going to be invaded by invasion of the podcast. So uh, in just a moment, we will begin talking about In the Mouth of Madness right after the intro to invasion of the podcast. Yeah, this is either going to be a tawdry thriller or an art house film. We don't know yet. So, all right. We don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah we don't know yet. Um, it could just turn into a sex comedy. 
the two, you know, it could happen. All right. So, all right. Well, well you know, let's just get into, I you know, are sneaking our, our, uh, invasion of the podcast in here. I'm going to do my intro here real quick. So yeah. in terms of us doing our year of carpenter. So <clears throat> here we go. Uh, um, this week on at the devil's ball, uh, and invasion of the podcast, we continue the year of carpenter as we take a meta turn with 1984's in the mouth of madness. Can carpenter return to form with the third of his apocalypse trilogy? Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. It's the invasion of the podcast. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Okay. Show me. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. Another year of Carpenter. Why don't we just wait here for a little while, see what happens. So let me quantify the, uh, what our year of Carpenter is here with Invasion of the Podcast and At the Devil's Ball, or I should say At the Devil's Ball and Invasion of the Podcast. Either way. You know, peanut butter and chocolate, chocolate and peanut butter. Uh, mm-hmm. Steve and I, uh, we always usually do a a focus, uh, a something during the year uh, when we're recording our, our invasion of the podcast. Like we've done a year of animation, we've done a year of canon. Um, it's always this kind of things where we want to broaden our horizons in terms of like things that we hadn't either one of us had seen before or the other hadn't or something to revisit. Like we did a year of the sequel one year, um, but when we were kicking around ideas last year. I mentioned Carpenter to Steve because, um, you know, he Carpenter's one of those directors and creators that have been very influential to both of us. But it's funny because, you know, Steve's favorite movie is Halloween and mine's the thing. And so, but then we also both realized that as much as we love Carpenter, there's a lot of Carpenter we hadn't seen. So it's hard to be like, Hey, he's one of our favorite directors. Have you seen all these films? No. So we decided to do a year of Carpenter and then I was going to pick a handful of movies to get through, but then we started doing it. And I'm like, we're just going to run this through the rest of the year, which now it's become another year of Carpenter. So that's where we're at. So that's what's going on here. And I, and Steve, I, you know, I, I will say I've been enjoying this, this, this journey so far. We've been, at least we're covering all our bases. There's two films that uh, we didn't cover initially, but I don't know, maybe we'll get to that TV Elvis movie eventually. Who knows? I, maybe not. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And the slasher that he did uh, right before, the made-for-TV slasher uh, that he made right before Halloween. Uh, or maybe it was right after. I'm not sure. Uh, what somebody's watching is. me? I yeah, think, somebody's yeah. watching yeah. me, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I own it. I still haven't watched it yet, but uh, maybe we'll get around to that. But I am realizing, looking at the filmography here, uh, outside of maybe Escape from L.A., I have not seen anything else. Oh, so this right. is where we're kind of at, uh, where my knowledge of Carpenter kind of drops off. So, um, the rest of the year is pretty much going to be, uh, exploratory for me, I guess. Um, so it'll be, it'll be fun to dig in and see, because let's be honest, if we're talking about Carpenter, his latter half of his career is not what people center their discussions about. So that'll be interesting once we get there. But, uh, in the mouth of madness, I'll just say this real quick. 
it was a movie that I was when it came out, somebody told me that it was terrible, so I didn't bother with it. And then like 15 years later, I see it on my own. I'm like, this movie's a masterpiece. Why? What was wrong with that person? So I love In the Mouth of Madness, and I'm excited to talk about it. So did they say it's just it's just weird? It's just a weird movie. <laughs> it's very possible. You know, I I don't remember who gave me like if I hear. I'm not this way today, but like I can pinpoint certain movies where I'm like, somebody told me it was terrible, so I never bothered with it. And I'm I'm now wondering how many times I just denied myself something because I listened to some idiot. So that's that's all I got. Well, I mean, did, no, you, totally. did you take my yeah. word for Boondock Saints? Because um, you don't need ever. I had watch. seen Boondock Saints previous to you bringing it up, and I yes, I do not like that movie. Okay, good. I'm, uh, I mean, I'll go back in time. The that movie yeah. is pretty much an asshole. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that documentary, oh, yeah. but again, we're going way off track here. Sorry. So let's try and reel ourselves in. And Samuel, you, how, what's your take on Boondock Saints? Are you a Boondock Saints fan? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the movie. Uh, I don't like the fans of the movie. Uh, um, yeah. that, that documentary though, because what's called Overnight, is right. a hell of a yeah. thing, right? The tagline is one of my favorite of all time. It's like, there's more than one way to shoot yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, terrible movie. Uh, I, I was actually talking with that, talking about that movie recently. Anyway, actually, with a um, uh, uh, friend, a uh, filmmaker, Nick McAnulty, uh, uh, it, it was kind of mentioning that movie, and I said, I feel like everybody, every every male born in the early '80s went through kind of that same early '20s period where they watched Boondock Saints and like loved it. And then you that's like the benchmark of whether or not you grow as a person is if you like <laughs> find out years later, you're like, oh, my God, that movie is a gar- pile of garbage yeah, or, I'm or not. Movie. I'm not defending yeah. a good movie. I just said I yeah. enjoyed some parts of it. Yeah. But so, yeah, it's one of those movies that I think like, you know, when you're when I was 22, I was like, oh, this movie's great. And then like, you know, five years later, I watched it and went, oh, my God. So like what it, was you, I you saw that movie and then you watched the second movie is what you're saying. And then you're like, oh, wait, a I, second. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen the sequel. Oh, I'm not talking I about the sequel. I'm saying you just watched any other movie after that. And you're like, oh, wait, that wasn't. Oh, very right. Good. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just watch another movie. No, it was just a, 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 one of my best friends. He was uh, at American University at the time, and he got into it, and so he watched it to me. And I think so, sort of like the opposite of what Steve talked about within the Mouth of Madness, where I had a friend who told me it was really good, so I was mm-hmm. open to that. Uh, I think that suggestion that I was like, "Oh, it's it's really good," and then I watched it even just a couple of years later, and was just like, "Oh my god!" But <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's me. But, yeah. yeah, bring up Boonock Saints. So. Um, yeah, before we, um, sorry, uh, uh, yeah, I, let's, uh, before I forget, cause it's something that I'm not always good at on our show is, um, well, I'm wanting to, I will, we'll get to the trailer cause we always been playing the trailer for these movies. And then if you guys could indulge me, I have a little bit of history, um, leading into this, uh, sure. cause like I like providing some context. So let's go ahead and listen to the trailer for in the mouth madness. It is a very nineties trailer. You guys will tell about the sound and then we'll, we'll get into it. because the stores could not meet the demand of Sutter Kane's novel, In the Mouth of Madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. I'm the guy that writes horror books. You can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. 
It's a setup. It's a setup. I, I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. See this? It's a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. So yeah, uh, in the mouth of madness. Um, so I, I'm going to put this to you, Samuel, because I'm I'd be curious for your uh, quick summation of what this movie is about. Tell me, tell me what this All movie right. is about. All right. So this movie is about a um, insurance investigator who uh, goes to find, <clears throat> excuse me, a missing author, and uh, and the author is a very H.P. Lovecraft style person uh, who outsells everybody, including Stephen King. Um, and shenanigans ensue. <laughs> um, <laughs> metafictional, metafictional Metaf- shenanigans ensue. Yeah, metafictional ensue. shenanigans ensue, ensue um, while the uh, the borders of reality kind of slip away, and uh, it turns out that Sutter Kane, the author, is uh, a little more powerful than just a, a regular author. That's that's how I'd summate it. No, I it's mean, also yeah, it's ahead. also about. Um, uh, Sam Neill uh, barely restraining his uh, Australian accent. Right. Yeah. I mean, that whatever. I, that was one of those things. I'm like, yeah, he sounds cool. Let him. Let him be cool. Right? I, I, yeah. I 110% yeah. agree with you. Yeah. So I, that was not. A, that was not a slam on Sam Neill. Yeah. I love the fact that he barely gives any effort. His <laughs> accent. It's the greatest thing about Sam Neill. Yeah. But so this is not reality. I did not know that this was a remake of the John Candy film Delirious from 1991. Does anybody know what I'm talking? I'm kidding. If you don't know what that movie is. So, do you guys know the movie? I thought that was going to be a better joke for these people that I'm talking to you right now. It might have landed real badly anyway. Uh, I don't think it landed well. I didn't land well at all. Uh, yeah. Does anybody know the movie I'm talking about where it, uh, John Candy plays a soap opera writer? He ends up in a car crash. And he ends up like in his own fictional oh, right. yeah. soap opera place. And his typewriter, he can just type whatever happens next. Uh, no? It might, have no. Gone, it might have gone better if you had used um, – What's that Tobey Maguire movie? Pleasantville. Oh, I have, you know what? I haven't seen right. Pleasantville, but if that's the, okay. Oh. That, yeah. All right. So anyway, so I, I see, um, not John Candy fans here. Okay. That's fine. I get it. Um, <laughs> no, uh, also, you know, like I like that, um, the, like Sam Neill has been cast, uh, against type or oh, sorry. He's been typecast as a guy that, um, runs through tunnels with a bunch of lights when all of uh, reality is falling apart around him. Like, so he'd be like, Hey, you want to be in Vent horizon? I've run through a light tunnel before. Yeah, sure. Anyway, um, <laughs> that, but, this works. yeah, he's like, it's just, is it kind of, can you make it look more like a meat grinder this time? You got it, sir. All right. So, um, a little bit of context. So what we've been doing here. On, on the show is that we've been going from film to film um, and trying to, because it's one thing to watch a movie and be like, yeah, we liked it and we appreciate it, but it's like, it also helps to have a little bit of context. So we like, when we had you guys on for body bags, um, that was Carpenter coming off of um, a very um, um, frustrating uh, experience with memoirs of invisible man. Uh, one of Steve's favorite Carpenter films. Um, so it's one of John Carpenter's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry. Right? Go yeah. Ahead. No, no, no. Uh, and then after, while he's doing body bags, he wanted to get doing another project. And so what happened here was um, you mentioned that the writer was Michael DeLuca, who wrote the screenplay. He had actually, uh, he was the executive at New Line at the time, but he had written the script in the 80s and actually back in, nine, uh, in 88 had actually approached Carpenter to entice him to direct at the time. Uh, unfortunately, Carpenter was embroiled with um, uh, difficulties with live pictures, which they were the ones that were bankrolling Prince of Darkness and They Live. And that became a mess in terms of like the behind the scenes money stuff. So he he didn't do that. He also felt like maybe he wasn't like up to snuff to approach this type of like meta uh, idea at the time. And this information I got to mention too, the book um, that I've been using all year, this next, this previous year and a half is called Assault in the System, The Nonconformist Cinema of John Carpenter by uh, Troy Howarth. It's an amazing book. But yeah, I like the idea that it's like this gentleman wrote this script with the Carpenter before. Carpenter said, no, this guy's not executive new line. He's like, you should come and do this. And so Carpenter was like, okay, you know what? Um, having one of the executives be like, you know, like executive producers actually be part of the studio that is showing him encouragement thought was a good sign. And so, you know what, he went ahead and did it. Um, and he thought he'd be comfortable to kind of have his own free reign to get this done. Um, and then also though, new line was able to give them about 8 million towards the film, uh, poultry considering some of the, uh, ideas in the script. So I think that's funny that the guy's like, Hey, I'm the executive new line. Here's my script. We're not going to give you enough money. Like, does, does that seem to be par for the course for Carpenter for everything we've run into? I would yeah. believe so. Yeah. 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 John Carpenter never was known for, for having a lot of money on his pictures. That's for Other sure. than the thing, right? That was the one that like they gave him, you know, the money to do it. And even then that was a fight. And then ever since. And then, then that flopped. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, I mean, I, I think big trouble actually had a decent budget too. Uh, but like everything's always been like, yeah, we want you, we love, we love what you do. Basically. I feel like he's been like stuck in the Halloween corner of like, well, you made that movie for $15 and it made a lot of money. What right. if we give you $16? You know, that's, it's, it's a common, it's a common aspect for a lot of horror filmmakers. Uh, even if they do become successful, I mean, like, uh, George Romero was frequently mentioned, uh, at the end of his career, couldn't, couldn't get a dime to make a film. Uh, and it was because uh, he just didn't make anybody any money that, you know, they were like, you know, uh, George Romero can't get money to make a zombie film. I remember it was an article that came out and everybody, you know, kind of had, you know, laughed reacts on the, uh, you know, Facebook be like, how could, how is that possible? And I'm like, it's possible because he didn't make anybody any money. Um, but, uh, but no, it's a thing. It's a common problem where a lot of, you know, Toby Hooper, of course, you know, that poor guy, but you know, horror filmmakers. Like, I think other than Wes Craven, were never really given any money, ever. I don't think. Is there anybody else besides Craven that ever got like real budgets on their films? Sam, you know no. this type of thing. No, not 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 really. Yeah. I mean, Sam Raimi would do later, but that he like that's when yeah. he wasn't making horror movies, right? Like, right. right. Sam Raimi left the the genre behind and went yeah. on to be like, yeah, I'll go do Spider Man, and they'll give we'll, we'll give you a ton of money for Spider Man. Um. But yeah, I mean, if John Carpenter like you know went and made a Marvel movie, they'd probably give him a whole bunch of money. But he's not going to do that. So yeah, I yeah. Mean, the only person I can think of is like someone like Jordan Peele. But it's like he already had some established like cred in the industry, and then took a chance with um, you know Get Out. And then after then after that, like I think um, you know I forget who's was it Universal that's behind all his other stuff. Like they've been giving oh, him the money because he's been proving like a large return on investment. But that's a, that's an that's different. But he's got to his own time. his own production company. Yeah, that, yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, I think Universal is is behind like distribution of his films. Maybe. But, yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, if it, unless you're working for like Jason Bloom, I think at this point, even now the genre, you aren't being given much money as a horror filmmaker, uh, unless you're working for Bloom or, um, uh, I think, um, yeah, like uh, actually I was going to say, um, what's his name there? The guy, the, uh, James Wan, he gets, yeah. he gets paid. He gets a lot of money for this. Atomic too, monster. But. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so the other thing I want to mention here too is that uh, uh, Carpenter really wanted to get Sam Neill in this role. Uh, the the people, the powers that be, weren't really enthusiastic about that, and I'm just like, how dare you? But so Carpenter actually went to DeLuca and was like, hey, you know, um, this guy Sam Neill is going to be part of this film called Jurassic Park that's coming out uh, soon. So maybe it'd be a good idea to have him in this movie because also you think Sam Neill's price would probably go up after Jurassic Park. So I think that's good old Carpenter to be like, oh, that Spielberg dinosaur movie, that's going to make bank. We should probably have yeah. this guy in the movie. And I think that was, I mean, aside from the fact he had a good working relationship with him on Memoirs of Invisible Man, like the one positive, I think that's just smart thinking. Like if you're not going to have the most money, if you know somebody's going to be like have a rocket strapped to them in terms of their visibility, get them, get them before that movie comes out. I think that's a smart move. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, uh, when I watched it, um, I think the only reason why Laurie would watch this movie with me was because Sam Neill's in it. She's a huge Sam Neill fan for different reasons than myself um, in that she she has a crush on him, uh, which I mean, I do, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, kinda. yeah. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Right. He's, like, a, he's a handsome man. Uh, I don't know if I want to like, you know, sex with him, but I feel like, you know, <laughs> we like, cuddle, <laughs> you know. Um, but, uh, I, I feel like there could be like a really nice romantic relationship, I think with Sam Neill, but, um, he's very handsome, but, uh, she, she's just absolutely loves him. But, uh, I had noted at the end of the film and she had kind of, uh, she echoed this, uh, sentiment, which was, I was like, this movie doesn't work without him. And, um, without his performance, especially the ending of this picture doesn't work without Sam Neill's performance. I think Sam Neill grounds this thing so much that, um, I can't imagine this working with any other actor. Uh, honestly, it's one of those roles that I, and it's, it, this is, this is my favorite John Carpenter movie. It is my favorite Sam Neill movie. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Um, and, uh, part of that is just because I think even as a teenager, when I saw this shortly after it came out, there was something about the character of John Trent that just really, really resonated with me. Uh, and Sam Neill's performance. And then years later when I suddenly was like, you know what, actually, I think I, Sam Neill might be my favorite actor ever. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess so. And that, I mean, in the mouth of madness. Right. But, uh, as Steve kind of alluded to earlier, um, this movie was not successful, um, uh, critically or commercially. Um, and it's not, uh, uh, Sam and I've talked about in the past, uh, we talked about movies like Exorcist three, or uh, Halloween three, which are movies that were, you know, panned upon release that have recently gotten this resurgence. And I thought in the mouth of madness was primed for that and it hasn't happened. And I'm kind of, um, alarmed and confused by that. I'm like, why is this? Cause I, I think shutter like recently shutter just put up possession. The, the, uh, cult movie with Samuel we covered last week on at the devil's ball. Uh, and that has been gaining some traction where people are like, Oh my God, this movie, um, Shutter had in the mouth of madness like a year ago, and I don't think anybody mentioned it. And I was really kind of weirded out by that. I mean, do you guys do you guys see where I'm coming from with that, or am I alone on this? Yeah, I think the I think the fan base that uh, in the mouth of madness got it got back when it hit video. It hasn't really grown since then. If that's what you're saying, yeah. Uh, 
which is bizarre because this is a great movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think uh, it's it's the kind of film that should have been you know had a, a resurgence recently, but it hasn't. And so I, I'm with you. I don't I don't really understand why. Yeah, uh, out of all the films that uh, that have gotten that sort of response now. Uh, I feel like this movie is primed for it. it. It's ahead of its time, I think, this picture, in the sense of it's talking about metafiction and, you know, what is reality. It's the type of thing that would work really well. Uh, and I think it would play very well now. Um, but uh, for some reason, it hasn't been, it hasn't gained that cult following. Uh, Paul, Steve, what do you guys think about that? Anything? Well, you know, like I said, uh, you know, I've only come to it in the last 10 years and. I think part of the reason that I uh, checked it out was because somebody was positively talking about it on a podcast or something that I was listening to. And I was like, all right, maybe I should check that out. And I think the other thing was is that I, I, I feel like I went to like a sale at the exchange and got it on DVD at the time for like a dollar. And I was like, well, it's a dollar. You know, I'm going to spend the dollar and take a chance on this movie. And I was just blown away by it. I'm like, why is no one talking about this movie? And, and again, that's like 10 years ago. So uh, I don't have a good answer for, as to why this isn't, you know, blowing up the way certain things are. Like, you know, there's no predicting, unfortunately, like what becomes popular after its, you know, home video birth. But like, this is one that I definitely think should be higher on Carpenter fans' lists if it's not. Um, I feel the same way about Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness is uh, a companion piece to this, and I, I, I love the atmosphere of in the Prince of Darkness. This, however, feels like Prince of Darkness with a little bit more money, um, and that's not a bad thing right. because I think this movie looks amazing, and I think that's also part of its appeal. Absolutely. Paul, yeah. did you have more history before I cut you off? Um, well, well, you did. You just cut me off. No, yeah. So, all right. So, no. Um, I, I have a little bit more here. Um, so, uh, Carpenter decided because this film is going to be a little bit more. It's going to be you know, a, a different type of challenge. And I credit to him too that. Honestly, like as much as we I referred to this as his his self-described third film of his apocalypse trilogy, he really doesn't do the same project twice. Right. Like even though we talked about body bags, how like the, the gas station seg segment was kind of a throwback to Halloween, even that was different. And even with this having, you know, goopy monsters and having like otherworldly like beings like like Prince of Darkness and the thing, it's still a different beast of its own. So he actually challenged himself as a filmmaker. He said, I'm doing things I haven't done before. A lot of abstract sublim um, subliminal cuts. Uh, because this is a movie about uh, reality not being what we're what we think it is, I'm using slow motion, which I really haven't done before, and because I feel like that um, that's in the style of this movie, uh, so I'm going to experiment with it. It's instinct. So um, so he really pushed himself to make things a little different, uh, and so I like that even at this stage in his career, which I mean you'd say it's like a little past his zenith, he he was more interested in making something that was interesting to him, you know, which I think. Like society, sorry, film society is always like 20 years behind him, like always, right? With the things he wants to do. And then how he ends up like, you know, inspiring everybody after in this kind of meta approach. Um, it's just, you don't, I mean, I, I guess the one people talk about that was the big, like kind of meta breaking the self-referential was like scream. Right. But this is meta at a different type of, it's like, it's almost like a new nightmare 
in the sense, and that's a film I know we've all been circling. We keep trying to get our, our schedules ready for that, right? Where you take the conceit, but then you pull the, you pull the view back just a little bit more to see that what we're talking about here is the 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 story of storytelling and world building as opposed to just a monster movie. So I like that um, he took the time to still challenge himself. Um, Steve, you will find this of interest. Did you know that, um, and I don't know if this is the AMBD trivia because I really didn't look that up. I mean, like the one bit of trivia you mentioned before we started recording, we will get to. Um, <laughs> the trivia I want to throw out there that no one talks about is that the old person on the bike, that was John Carpenter. I'm kidding. That wasn't him, but... <laughs> <laughs> Just see him, like, uh, I hope I hope that comment of like as much as I try to get out, I'm still here. I'm wondering if that's just his commentary on like you know just being stuck like making movies that no one respects. You know, anyway. Right. Um, anyway, uh, so Steve, he uh, uh, Carpenter wanted to actually not go in like a spooky music kind of way because he's always been kind of against going against type. He wanted to get a song to start the film. He wanted to get a licensed song by a band. I don't know if this is in the trivia or not. Do you know what that song was? So uh, I have a feeling that it's Enter Sandman because if you listen to the beginning of that song, uh, that his his version of the song that kicks off the movie, it is almost identical to Enter Sandman. And actually, I was going to bring up one of the few pieces of of research that I did was was to see how big of a fan uh, Carpenter was of the band. Uh, and I love this quote because it would piss so many people off. But they asked him what his favorite three Metallica albums were, and they're they're the Black Album, Load, and Reload. <laughs> and I just love that he's picked like you know the only way it would have been better if is if he'd have thrown like Lulu or Sing Anger in there because <laughs> it would have just like driven people crazy. So I, I no, what, no love for uh, Garage Inc. Ugh. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm a fan. So. I, Steve, uh, yeah, Steve, Steve's <laughs> a fan, and I and I'm not as well versed. But you're Steve. You are correct. I'm going to give you one of these. Here, what do we got here? Here. Congratulations, you were right about that. Um, yeah, it was Inner Sandman, but he's like, either we couldn't afford it or they didn't want to uh, give it to us. He's like, I can't remember what it was, but they wouldn't give it to me. So, spot on, sir. Good, good call. Yeah, they actually uh, up until that point kept their music out of like movies and TV. And, uh, I think other than like MTV, like being able to use it because they play the videos. Um, I feel like the only things that they had lent their music to at that point were the paradise lost documentaries. Um, which is, I'll, if I start talking about that, I'll take us down a completely different direction. But, um, that is, I think at this time, the only place where their music is being used, it's not like, you know, master puppets popping up on stranger things now. So, right. uh, it doesn't surprise me that he couldn't get it. And I, I'm sure it was probably a dollar amount issue. And I'm sure it was probably a, like, we're not focused on that type of stuff right now. Well, it was so. almost like, how, what was it? They wanted to use a, um, welcome to the jungle and predator. And you're like, that would, nah, I think that would have felt like somehow weirdly dating that movie in a way, you know? Uh, but I think so they used it in the Deadpool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, you're right. Yeah. Um, but I think this, I think that would have set the tone for this, but I also like, you're like, yeah, that sounds a lot alike. Cause you know, you could tell Carper be like, well, screw you. I want to do it anyway. <laughs> you know, like, so I do respect that. So, so Nathaniel, in terms of like other trivia, I don't, I have a little bit of aftermath because of the box office stuff, which we can get to at the very end here. But, um, that's, that's about all I have other than I just have a couple quotes from the movie that I think, um, they get louder the, the more time goes on talking yeah. about, uh, uh, you know, what reality you decide to choose, which I think we as a society, um, have become more and more aware of this. 
and I don't think that was Carpenter's intent. I think he was talking about it in the sense of creativeness because he was also doing this film kind of like as an F you to people that were blaming, um, uh, not media, but the, like books, uh, songs, video games on violence. He was right. like, that's not like, that's not how this works. And it was kind of him kind of taking the piss out of that. Right. Like in terms of like, what's let's examine this thing head on, but it isn't so much, it isn't so much that these books are creating. It's it just, he flipped it and then the script flipped it and, and in some ways, you know, so it was him kind of wanting to make a statement without like, you know, being <clears throat> political in terms of like his approach. But we know Carpenter, when he has something to say, it always is interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting that it, it's a definitely an interesting uh, choice for Carpenter. I, I, I hadn't I didn't know a lot of that history you had mentioned, and I think that's really neat. Um, in particular, that John Carpenter was always attached to this because looking at this film, one of my first thought this time around looking at it this time was I was thinking how odd it was that it's a John Carpenter movie. Like, I feel like this script was was uh was begging for somebody like Craven or even like like David Lynch or something like somebody that was going to bring a much uh what's the word I'm trying to think of uh you know a much headier cerebral approach uh and so they went and got the rock star to do it and I thought that was really interesting um I don't know if anybody else has a, has a similar thought to it but to me it felt very much like I was like this is not a uh, an atypical carpenter concept. Well, I mean, so to be fair, this is something I didn't highlight, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that they, uh, since he turned it down originally, this was shot to a couple other people, uh, Tony Randall, mm-hmm. who had made a uh, Hellbound two, sorry, hell, Hellraiser two, um, Hellbound yeah. Hellraiser two. And then also, um, it's, he had, he'd worked also on escape from New York with carpenter, but also, um, what was it? Uh, Mary Lambert who did pet cemetery. Okay. So there was, um, is, is that her name? Is it Lam- Mary Lambert? Um, Mary Lambert. Yes. Yeah. So there was a couple, um, and a couple other people that were approached after. So think about that too. So when you said this doesn't necessarily like you're surprised, it's like, it almost would have been a different sensibility, but mm-hmm. you know, so I think I, your, your, your spidey sense is right about that. So I just wanted okay. to, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where this movie, for me, always, it, it comes back to the, one of the reasons why I love this film so much is I think it's just it's such a strong script. Um, and, uh, you know, written by, as you mentioned, Mike De, Michael DeLuca, who was, uh, uh, at this time, he, was he actually a, uh, he was a uh, an executive at New Line yes. at this time? Yeah. Okay. Because I know uh, he wasn't prior. Um, but, yeah, his, his career had, uh, as a screenwriter had kind of died between this and Judge Dredd. Um, that they had never really met him, let him do anything. And he ended up, uh, because he was an executive at New Line, he got to do Freddy's Dad. He got to write that script. Um, so you're saying he's not a, so you're saying he's one for one for three is what you're saying. One for three. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a very it's a very smart script, and I, it doesn't surprise me that he wrote it much uh, much earlier than uh, than the film came out. That actually doesn't shock me at all because it feels very much uh, uh, like the type of script they never would have touched. In, nobody would have touched in '88, um, well, and I'm surprised that anybody touched it. And but actually, but that's the thing is, you say he's an executive at New Line. I'm like, well, now now I know exactly why they touched it. In what was this '94? Yeah. Um, that uh, you know, uh, and as I said before, and I, I think we'll probably say this a couple, multiple times on this podcast that this movie is ahead of its time and probably would fit in perfectly with today's. Um, 
uh, more self-aware sensibilities. Uh, you mentioned also probably, you know, that scream comes a couple years after this. Um, you know, uh, this would have come after new nightmare. Um, but double check. So that, yeah. new nightmare is 94, but my question to you is, is I, I'm unable to find like an accurate date. Cause IMDB is telling me February 95 and we don't have to get into specifics, but, um, uh, if, it opened in like Italy Netflix. or something in ninety late ninety four, and then opened in the states in early ninety five. It, it was slated for a September um, ninety four release. They got pushed back to February right. of ninety five. Okay, because yeah. I, I believe New Nightmare is like November of ninety four, so they're within six months of each other. Okay, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, that that's another film much like New Nightmare, and much like New Nightmare, this movie didn't do well. You know, as we've already kind of aforementioned, and Paul had some more stuff for that later. Um, but uh, it didn't do well, and it's—I think it—it's uh, probably because it's so cerebral that I don't think audiences were ready for it yet. And uh, same thing with New Nightmare. I think that's a common consensus among most horror fans: is New Nightmare probably should have done a hell of a lot better than it did. But mostly, they blame it going up against Pulp Fiction. Um, but also at the same time, it was a movie that you know uh, that was doing this and and New Nightmare were two movies that were kind of doing what Scream does a couple of years before, and nobody was ready for it. And then so it it when it gets turned into more comedic, it suddenly works. Um, I've tried I've tried to figure out where the hell I was going with all this, but I was. Uh, I was gonna, uh, but I wanted to start talking about the script, and that's what I. I uh, and and it's more cerebral nature, and uh, because it's what works for me, uh, it's a, it's very much a writer's movie, and I think that's where uh, my love of it really comes from. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the script in general, uh, and and also maybe just your um, your history with the film or your your connection to the film if you have one. Well, I'll go first only because I have a question to ask the rest of you guys as well. Um, I mentioned earlier that this was a movie that I stayed away from because I got one bad review from it. And for whatever reason that locked it in my head as being a bad movie and I never checked it out. Um, well, obviously I, I got around to checking out, but just way too late. Um, but as far as like the story goes in the script, you know, it's, you know, Carpenter, one of the interviews that I did watch, uh, him talking about this movie, um, was he was talking about that this was the most edited movie that he'd done at this point in the sense of like, you know, there's all those those shots that happen um, anytime Sam Neill sort of drifts in and out or we change realities. Like there's a lot of quick cuts in this movie um, and not only just those moments, but like the, the bicycle rider or, you know, when they're in the car, uh, the um, uh, moment where uh, he's talking to Styles and uh, things just start going sideways for him. Like there's a lot of quick cutting that happens throughout this movie. And, um, I think that, you know, I, I am not a professional screenwriter, so I don't know how much of that you can actually establish within the screenplay. Um, and how much of that was, you know, invention on, you know, Carpenter and the editing team's part. But, uh, when you mentioned this movie being cerebral, one of the things that, I equate being cerebral, I guess, with is like when people use that word, what they usually mean is slow. That's just my opinion. I feel like if somebody says something cerebral, they're like, it's cerebral. And I'm like, okay, so you mean it's slow. It's not a fast paced movie. 
Um, and that may just be my preconceived notion, but that's what I hear when I hear people use that word. With this, I feel like this movie moves. Like, it's only an hour and a half. And I, in my head, I did actually think, I was like, oh, it's probably like, before I did my rewatch, I'm like, it's probably like two, two hours, ten minutes, something along those lines. No, it's um, hour 30, and it's out. Like, it's it's done pretty quick. Um, and then uh, the question that I wanted to ask you guys, and I don't know if I gave you a very good answer there. My apologies. Um, I think it is very well written. Um, I'm just curious to know how much the – I haven't actually looked at the script. I'd be curious to know what the differences are between the way the scenes are presented in the script versus how they were edited together um, and, and uh, how they play. But uh, my question to you, and I've talked about this a little bit on Invasion, I've never read any Lovecraft. So I, my, the strongest relationship I have to Lovecraft is probably Hellboy. So, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm the guy who, you know, shows up in the Kip Winger shirt on Beavis and Butthead. Like, I'm not cool enough to like the real bands. I'm like, I, I like Hellboy. That's, that's my version of Lovecraft. Uh, but uh, my question to you guys is, is, are you guys big Lovecraft fans? Are you guys, is this prime the pump for you already in the sense of, like, you're like the old ones, which is what the kids call me now is I'm one of the old ones. <laughs> but, uh. What is your guys' relationship with Lovecraft? Are you guys big fans, or and I'm not talking about I'm not a fan of his problematic. Yeah, yeah, right. We know that. <laughs> I mean, I read Lovecraft for the racist parts. That's about it. Right. I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, there's something about like you know tentacles and stuff, but mostly just the racism. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Sam, go go. I'm I'm, I'm a fan of Lovecraft's uh, work. Um, of the Cthulhu mythos stuff. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it primes me a little bit for, you know, for this film. Um, obviously, you know, not all this work has held up to this day. Um, <laughs> not all this politics held up even back then. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Lovecraft. Um, what I, about the, uh, what about the script and, uh, your, your, connection to the film if you have one sam um the script uh i feel like it could have used a little 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 more time to uh investigate some of the you know some of this stuff a little bit more i think i think it could have done well as a two-hour movie um get a little more room to breathe um in there uh because there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that you know this movie's talking about and i don't know if it has enough time to talk about it as much as it wants to. Um, so maybe, maybe it could have been, you know, two hours instead of an hour and a half. Um, I know I saw this movie back in the theater when it came out. I think it was me and a friend of mine and about three other people in the entire theater. <laughs> so, uh, I, I was one of the people who gave it a little bit of money to, to make back its budget, hopefully. But, uh, yeah. So I was there early, I guess. So uh, I'm in terms of Lovecraft, I, I mean, I, maybe I've read a smidge here or there, but I think the idea of like the unknowable, like the cosmic madness, that's something that that's, that's a large well to draw from. And there's plenty of things that like one of my favorite films of all time is Event Horizon. And that's very much, you know, like that kind of idea in space. Right. And Sam Neill. Right? right. And like, I, you know, like it's almost like the terrors in your mind are scarier if you don't like, you know, if you just show like the effect of, but not actually show them. Like, I think that's, there's something that works really, really well. Um, 
that Stevie King has uh that what it was one of his short stories called I think it was called uh, NTH like Nymph I forget there actually it was a really short title it was his um, Lovecraft homage and just reading that it's like how like you might be seeing reality but you feel like your brain's being torn apart and you can't figure out why like there's a lot there right. that I really really appreciate. Um, so there's the, that kind of thing I do dig. Uh, I, you know, this, I, I do feel like there could have been a little bit more in this. However, like for being such a, um, it's a concept that you kind of have to buy in. I think it does a pretty good job of getting across the finish line. Uh, cause it could have easily just been like, it's all weird now. And that's it. We're done now. Like I just, I think that at least Carpenter made a very, um, watchable movie that's challenging you in some ways versus like. I don't, sometimes I think movies, when they take these big swings, they're just like, well, we don't know what it is. So the audience isn't going to figure it out. Blah. And they just kind of, you know, let you, it's just, this thing could have been a mess. And it's not my only problem yeah, with if, the movie. If, if M night Shyamalan admit it, you know? uh, <laughs> yeah, my only problem yeah. with this movie and Steve, you're going to appreciate this. You want my, you know what my nitpick is in this movie, Steve, do you want to, do you want to guess my nitpick with this movie? Oh, well, there's nobody playing hockey on the roof, so you won't be upset about that. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. <laughs> go ahead no it's just that sam neil gets uh he gets admitted to you know the asylum right and then uh david warner shows up with beautiful hair we got to mention just wonderful yeah. hair uh because he, he was so good he bought the company um and then he's talking to the guy the one guy working there and it's like has he made any requests he's like yeah just for one one black crayon and it's like <laughs> and you go in and it's like the whole cells all done, like striking imagery right i get all that but then you find out through the course of the conversation that like, he's only been in there for like an hour or two. Like, how did that happen? You know what I mean? Like, just like, I just like, it's all over the place. Like there's no evidence of a ladder. There's no, <laughs> there's no nothing. Yeah. It's like, like if they'd have been no, like, there's that part. Yeah. yeah there's like, no ladder. In it's there, like, yeah. Oh, he just wanted it. He wanted a single, by the way, also crayons, you know, if you get about halfway down with that, you just can't use that shit anymore. Like it's just too, right. you can't put it in your face. Yeah. Also it doesn't work like that on the skin. I'm sorry. Like the idea that this, you know, these, these, uh, the old ones, these old gods are coming back. I have no problem with that. Crayon usage, I have a big problem with, and time frames. Also, too, for this black church that they talk about, the black chapel that they go to go investigate, it has some really nice lighting on the outside. Did you guys notice? Like, yeah. Like, I'm just like, wow. You know, for this, like, this, like, you know, church of the unholy, man, they, they got their lighting situation figured out pretty well out there, and the paving's nice, too. Good on you. Good on you, Sutter Kane, to write all that in. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I know that's not script-related, but Creon usage, I, I know I'm an idiot. I know I get, I get hung up on some things sometimes, but I'm just like, wow, that's a, uh, that, that, you know, that doesn't make sense, but all but right. is that the movie's fault or is that Sutter Kane's fault for not knowing how crayons work? <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> you know, there you're, I would love if there'd been like a line in there and being like, uh, and oh, by the way, uh, I've given you a crayon and un the unknowable will happen. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> my favorite color is it's blue. Little, yeah. Like, <laughs> It's it, it's very true though because that's something Lori was pointing out a couple of things while watching the film and she was like you know and I was like uh, just wait for it because ultimately the reveal kind of says like all those plot holes that's all because reality <laughs> shifted like you could actually blame everything on Sutter Kane rewriting 
Yeah, like, that's fair. It's so strange. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, to your point, though, I actually did this for a Halloween costume. I did Sam Neill. Nice. I was uh, thinking that'd be a, cell. that would be a fun costume. Uh, it didn't yeah. go well, however, because it's really hard to draw thousands of crosses all over your body and uh, medical scrubs. It's really difficult to do. Well, did you? Um, how many crayons did you use? That's what I want to know. Like, was it like one? I actually, two? I think I used a, I think I used a, a marker. Oh, so you're not, uh, you're not, not a true fan. Okay, I get it. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no. I mean, uh, honestly, I, I didn't have that much. I needed to. I want. I needed a costume I could wear to a barback job, basically. So I just put medical scrubs and was like, "I'll do Sam Neil," and I'm like, "And five people will get it, and it'll be great." Um, but uh, but I thought it wouldn't take that long, so I didn't put that much time into it. And so like, but it turns out that's really hard, and it takes a long time. And so it wasn't nearly. So to your point, you're correct. Like there's like no way John Trent could have done all of that in a short period of time. Like it takes a lot of work. Um, however, at the same time, as a smoker, and Sam's with me on this, I'm sure, as being at least a former smoker, um, he's locked in that room without a cigarette. I would, you know, I'd probably be having all that manic energy to draw right. thousands and thousands of crosses too. Uh, and this is a man who smokes all the time. Um, He's a chain smoking fiend. And so I was like, you know, actually I might buy that anyway, that I'd be like, well, I can't smoke and I'm going to go crazy in here. Uh, pun intended. All right. I'll draw millions of crosses, but I like right. the, the, but the part of it that really works for me is when, uh, is Dave Warner immediately kind of catches on that. This is all bullshit that he's making it up, you know, that he's like, well, they have to keep you in here when they see all this. And he's like, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to get out now. Um, so I want to look crazy. It's like, it's very, uh, Charles Manson. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. So the, the, the line was David Warner was talking about like, well, there's a, a um, was it, um, one of the orderlies has very sore balls. I'm like, well, if the guy's complaining about his balls being kicked in, that has to be like, what, like, you know, later that day, that's, that, I think that's why I've said yeah. that was, if you cut that line out, I would have been like, oh, he's been here for weeks. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, I just do want to mention that I was really happy to see uh, Vigo, the Carpathian, uh, yes. in this film trying to be a good guy. Um, right. just weird, but I liked it. You know, I'm just like, well, if you're going to get, you get Vigo involved, shit's going to get, get, get sideways in a hurry. So I did like that as well. Anyway, that, yeah, sorry. It was, I just stopped. It was because. definitely, go ahead, Steve, please. No, no, I was just going to say it was definitely too hot to handle too cold to hold. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Also like in terms of like you asked about like my relation to the film, I'd seen this previously. I don't remember when, I just remember like maybe I was when I saw it when I was like younger, I didn't quite get it, you know, like because I mean, clearly it's it's aiming for bigger things. So it's one that I've been aware of and I've known of it. And it's just I just I haven't revisited it in like, I don't know, any any time recently, like probably the last 15 years. So this was a wonderful refresh to come back to. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I feel like, you know, well, OK, I mentioned earlier that, you know, this is pretty much. With the exception of Escape from L.A., this is where my knowledge of Carpenter stops. And this one was such a, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say a revelation because that makes it sound like I discovered it on my own and it was, you know, uh, I'm out championing it. But like the uh, the thing that I keep coming back to is, is that, you know, this movie is <sighs> I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to put it. I, I don't want to like sit here and try and rank every movie, but uh, it's far better than 
I think a lot of people give it credit for. And one of the things that I always say about Prince of Darkness, I think I said it on our episode about Prince of Darkness, is, is that I'm like, I don't get a lot of it. Like, I'll admit, like, some the, the quantum physics aspects and all that stuff, I'm like, that's all over my head. Like, I'm clearly there are people in the room smarter than I am, and that's okay. All I have to do is buy into it, and that's good enough for me. Like, with, with this, I kind of feel like I'm in the same place where I'm like, well, I don't exactly know that I buy him putting together the map. Like, that is... I, it's one of those... This is my, my moment, uh, my Black Crayon moment, in the sense of, <laughs> uh, you know, in Iron Man 2, um, you know, the, 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 the hidden map that'll be the new arc reactor was hidden in, like... The, the gigantic fair. diorama that his dad made in the 60s or whatever. And I was just like, really, this is how we're getting the fact that like he puts it together by piecing the, the covers together. It's a cool idea. Don't get me wrong. But I'm like, really, we couldn't get there an easier way like this. Just this feels like only Sam Neill would have gotten this, you know, so that's that's really my only like problem in the, and it's not even a problem it's just a, a nitpick uh well i also like I, that he takes the time to bring this big like cellophane like uh piece that yeah. he brings over <laughs> to yeah. be like look it's it's new hampshire and it's like you could have just brought that in and be like that's new hampshire and just you know like you didn't have to make a big cellophane piece to be and there's maine you're like oh i didn't know where new hampshire is you know like i thought that was great yeah do we know do they is it anywhere in the trivia paul or did you see uh who the artist might have been on that because the covers are freaking amazing and why does the poster suck so bad when there's amazing art throughout the yeah movie? they could have just had the you know poster from the movie be the poster and it would have been amazing yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like a thousand times better that's true i, I don't i don't have anything in here in the trivia in the book about who actually did the artwork because it is great and like the font they use for the the sutter cane for all of it it's like that's all badass, and it's like I would have, you know, that that's a missed opportunity, like there, because that was way cooler um, than what we ended up getting for the movie poster. I agree with that for sure. Yeah, I just uh, I was just wondering that because as I was thinking about it, because I do have the IMDb up and the posters like staring me in the face. I'm like, this is not a great poster. Maybe maybe yeah. this is why it didn't make a lot of money. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, there's plenty of options and plenty of imagery here that you could have pulled from. Like you could have had, um, what was it, uh, um, Happy Gilmore's uh, grandmother um, kicking a naked guy that, that's handcuffed to her. Um, you know, <laughs> right. but, for whatever reason, that actress, um, her her name is Frances Bay. I get her and Lynn Shay confused. You know what I mean? Like, I, like, yeah. But I mean, she's older than Lynn Shea, but they kind of have the same type of like vibe. But I love that she was in this, and I like, you know, she's like, oh, but my fingers hurt. She didn't say that, but I love that. Like, whenever she's like kicking, like that. That's that's one of those great like that's that's a good cutaway to to show like 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 Carpenter has a sense of humor, and that's a wonderful cut to have that happen there. And I like that uh, when we find out that she's supposedly this woman that's like, uh, had killed her husband and all this other stuff, because that's the other thing too. We don't mention when they go to Hobbs end, it's basically castle rock, right? You know, and like, it's this beautiful little new England town and all the stories take place there. And the fact that the editor styles, knows what's about to happen next, that, that, that feels like it works for the story. And it works here very well, but like, I also feel like now that we're in the age of like 2023, 
like Steve, just like a week or so ago, you literally went to a physical recreation of a location that was based upon a book series, right? Like in terms of you went to universal and ended up in Harry Potterburg. Like that's not something that was happening at this time. But but you almost get that that kind of weird, like detailed knowledge that people be like, oh, this is where this is going to happen. This is where this is going to happen. I think that would have been that would play different there than it does now, where you can literally go to these places. So I think that adds a little extra texture when you watch this. You're like, oh, of course they know. They've read all the books. Like that's not. It just it it, it felt like it was. Um, I'm talking too much, but it'd be like, you know, not that galaxy's edge was any of the star Wars stuff, but it's like, but I know all these things already. I want to go live it. I want to go to Hobbs end and, you know, get attacked by a bunch of weird looking kids chasing a three legged dog. That's worth the experience. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's fandom. Fandom's a weird thing. Well, and I think these days, uh, uh, some of the people who read the book series that uh, Steve went to there, uh, little town probably would hack somebody apart with an axe at this point. So, um, <laughs> are you, wait, are you saying JK Rowling fans would just take an axe to people is what you're saying? Or, yeah. Um, we're getting there. Um, right. but, well, um, certain people, uh, not all people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say, uh, uh, I don't play video games anyway, but I'm not going to play the Harry Potter game just so everybody's aware of that. But, um, but no, I mean, fandom is interesting. Um, I do apologize. My internet went out and now I'm back. So I, I think I caught the gist of what Paul's point was. Good, because I didn't. Um, I was t- I was saying it. So thank you for hoping that you caught what I, I have no idea what I was saying. Well, I mean, it's not yeah. that, I mean you're, you're talking about um, you, you were making a point about the, the narrative concept of people believing in the work to the point of um, uh, being, of madness. Yeah, being devoted to it to, uh, you know, Sutter Kane mentions it as a uh, you know, uh, a religion. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. Um, and that's a really interesting concept that again, I think would be, would play very differently today as you, as you put it, uh, of the idea of if people believed in something enough, could it become reality? And it does play differently. You mentioned this at the beginning, at the earlier on in the conversation about how that hits differently today with the idea of, um, what we believe in collectively starting to affect society as we know it. Uh, I, I know it did for me, the conversation between John Trent and, uh, and styles in the car, where she says, if, if sanity and insanity switch places, things would get really weird. And I'm like, yeah, like 2023. Yeah. This, like, the, the, the quote, and thank you. I have, I highlighted it. So that's, I just have it in front of me. Uh, yeah. reality is just what we tell each other. It is sane and insane could easily switch places. If the insane were to become the majority, you could find yourself uh, locked in a padded cell, uh, wondering what happened to the world with one crayon that doesn't actually do all of that. Yeah. Anyway. And then, um, the, the things that Kane says later about religion, the thing I have highlighted here is no one ever believed in it enough to make it real. So I think that's, you know, his devotion, he unlocked it because it was like this kind of like, um, you know, the more it's out there, it's, it's, it's like a Neil Gaiman American gods idea, right? Like if mm-hmm. enough people believe it will manifest. Right. And I think that's yeah. something that's way ahead of its time. And mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things now, but if enough people believe in whatever they deem their reality to be, it's going to be real to them, you know? And like, um, that's a, that's a uncomfortable thought. Yeah. yeah, and our our current political spectrum that's happening. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of my point. That's what made me kind of like 
but had a chill run down my spine when, when during that uh, Styles quote there. Of I'm um, like, yeah, it's it's you know that's how you get January six. You know, like that's how you get these things, is you get people who are like, now I believe this reality, and you know, so basically, Sutter Kane is Fox News is what I'm saying, I guess. But I mean, like it's, which is upsetting as hell, but it's not, but to your point also of John Carpenter kind of making this as a point of saying art doesn't do this. People do this. Um, you know, art doesn't influence nearly as much as say Fox news does or the media does. Um, but no, I mean, it's a terrifying idea that, uh, that belief, will start to change reality as we know it, that the even the terms of sanity and insanity could change. Um, and we're seeing that. And I didn't want to get off on this rant, but it's it's there uh, as one of those things that, again, it's, it's oddly prescient. Uh, Carpenter, I think, had a way with that. I think uh, people love to quote the thing now. You know, like, you know, it's uh, nobody trusts each other and we're all very tired. Uh, you know, it's, you know, people have used that meme as like, this is what, uh, life is like now. Uh, so Carpenter is very big on that. So, I mean, I think it's really, really interesting that this movie sort of plays so heavily with that, but in the terms of fiction where it's safe, which is of course what horror is all about is we're going to talk about something that makes us all uncomfortable in a way we're comfortable with talking about it. Well, and I'd even point to like, I know Steve, you liked the movie. They live like you're, you're a bigger fan. I mean, I like, they live as well. Don't like, don't get me wrong. I know you like it more than I do, but that's also speaking to the, the narrative that, you know, that you're accepting versus like, you know, or, or being forced to accept versus what's actually going on. So this isn't, this isn't a theme that Carpenter hasn't visited previously. It's just that this is a little different take. So maybe, maybe that's why that resonates with you, Steve. Like I can't speak for you, but I know you, I know you like, they live, uh, more so than myself. Um, so I don't know if that's something that you considered while watching this. Uh, well, I definitely hadn't considered considered it while watching this. I, I There are certain movies that I'll admit, um, if they sink their hooks into me just enough, I'll forgive just about anything. And then there are movies where I will get stuck on one small detail and I'll be like, well, this whole movie is now implausible because of that one thing. And just because I can't get myself as the viewer to that place where I buy it. Um, the classic example I always use on invasion is, is that for me, I never quite understood why the ring used a videotape. Like, why is it a videotape? Like if you can explain that to me and tell me why, then great. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe buy in a little bit more, but like, like this is just a, a, you know, a plot device to get us to where we need to go. And I got stuck there and I didn't enjoy the movie because of that. There are movies, however, like Mandy, where I'm like, I should not like this movie, but I love this movie. I think that's probably where I land with uh, In the Mouth of Madness, where I, I hate to admit it, I'm not being as, you know, even even though, you know, Nathaniel mentioned earlier that it's a very cerebral movie, and I'm not denying that it is. I don't know why I didn't look at it in those terms. I wasn't thinking of it in uh, either political or sociological terms. I was looking at it more as, a person who is just slowly losing their mind and how that is being affected by the world around him. And, uh, I, I really like the idea of, you know, the only person being left, you know, being sane, uh, is the guy who passed it along to everyone. Uh, I, 
I think that that theme resonated with me, but I had not put together, you know, and that's a very good call. Um, it's just not a thought that I had going into this was tying it to uh, the messaging in, uh, I shouldn't say messaging, but the, the, uh, the idea behind the, the they live versus this. Sam, what about you? What's your what's your thought process on the the metafictional aspects of this film? Um, in so far as what I mean, in what way? In just in generally what we're talking about, or in general oh, as okay. uh, as a topic. Uh, uh, All right. Yeah. Um, I. I mean, it's it was like you said, it's ahead of its time in in a lot of ways because not a lot of movies have been doing this kind of meta stuff for a while. Um, I know back at the time when it came out, I was a huge fan of these kind of meta stories where, you know, you, it plays with the borders of reality um, and what, you know, what is real and what isn't um, always kind of spoke to me, especially back in like the mid nineties. Um, so I've always been kind of a fan of this since I saw it because of the way it fucks with your head. Um, and, the way it it uh, doesn't say it doesn't come out and say you know this is what's real and what isn't it kind of lets you decide on your own um, what is and what isn't by the end of the film uh, like when he goes back to the publisher and he says you know oh you know I destroyed the manuscript and the publisher's like you delivered it like seven months ago you know what are you talking about you know. We never even saw that part in the movie, um, but you know, suddenly the, the movie's the movie itself is the movie adaptation is coming out next week, next month, or whatever. And as far as we knew, this whole film took place in a couple of days, which would make that impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's got another level to it. Where at the end, where where it's like, well, wait a minute, our is even what we saw the actual case or not. And that's kind of interesting to me because, you know, most movies, you know, what you see on the screen is, is the reality of it. And this is like, well, maybe not. It's, it's a little, it's a little more fluid than that in this, if that makes any sense. Well, that I think you're hitting it on the, you're hitting it on the head in the sense that, um, it's really difficult to put what's going on in the mouth of madness into words. Right. Um, it's it's very difficult to describe any of this stuff because it gets it just uh, as um, I think uh, Jeff Winger from Community would say to Abed, stop taking every idea and shoving it up its own ass, um, <laughs> because that's kind of what this is to a degree. It's just told in a very in a very John Carpenter way, which is very meat and potatoes. And Steve, you said like, you know, you kind of, you know, f- feel weird about not seeing it from that perspective of, you know, political or so, uh, sociological viewpoints. But I, I wanted to like kind of, you know, you watch this movie exactly the way it's designed to be watched. Right. Um, it's supposed to appeal to that. It's not, so, you know, you can't analyze it further. But Carpenter always wants to hit you in the in the uh, in the literal not the metaphysical, um, which is why I think it's 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 interesting that this movie is a John Carpenter movie, considering the script wants to get really get really heady. Um, and Carpenter was like, well, no, I'm grounding this thing. 
And that's really fascinating to me. And that's why, like, you know, the casting of Sam Neill is the most, probably the most grounded actor in history. Uh, he was able to sell Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> right. You know. The uh, R reel. <laughs> you know, this is a guy who was able to be like, I'm actually going to react to these, uh, you know, these dinosaurs. And you're going to believe they're real because I believe they're real. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's something that Sam Neill can do exceptionally well and it's something john carpenter does exceptionally well um and that both approaching this very very heady and by the way steve also used that you know cerebral uh equals uh slow is also pretty much how studio execs see the word cerebral as well uh sam and i talked about this when we talked about ex uh the prequel to the exorcist the two different versions and how the first one paul schrader's original film was uh, canned by uh, New Line Cinema because it was too cerebral, which was their way of saying it's too slow. Um, we need to have some more like boo in here. Um, and this movie has a lot of boo, yeah. but um, but it's uh, it's a fascinating idea that's very difficult to work out. And I've been trying. And case in point, I've been trying to figure out a way to ask this question, and I don't think I figured it out uh, because it's so heady. But it's like is the idea of I, I've been reading reading online that people kind of are, are interpreting certain aspects of this movie as if this movie is affecting our world. Um, and I'm not sure it is. And so I, I've been trying to figure out how to word this. Do you believe this movie is self-contained in terms of metafiction where it is fictional people doing fictional things? Uh, within a cage, ostensibly, that is fictional for us? Or do you think this movie is bleeding out? Does anybody does anybody understand what the hell I'm talking about, first of all? But do you think this is self-contained or is this affecting us? Steve, answer in 60 seconds. Quick, Paul. No, oh, God damn it, no. Uh, so I think, um, uh, well, I, I understand your question. I do wish that when he walked into the marquee that it would have been saying Sam Neill in in the Mouth of Madness because right. it says it's directed by John Carpenter because that would be funny to me. Also, um, do, do, do you think it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that it was only Sam Neill in the theater watching the movie at the end, uh, considering <laughs> the box office? Yeah. Um, well, but, there you go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody was still nice enough to make popcorn. Yeah. So, and know. somebody was nice enough to run the reel, right. To actually right. do the changeovers and everything back then. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, cause, well, cause that's the idea. It's like you, you like, even though he has been so confident in his own, like, this is reality. This is what's real. And then at the end, like all he can do is sit there and laugh and then like, you know, lose his own mind. I think mm -hmm. that is hinting at the tearing of like, this is, this is the blurring. Right. And like, that's, right. I think that, I think that's a, like a great way. Cause it's like, it's a definitive ending to a movie. Right. Cause like as much as like Carpenter loves his hammers uh, for his endings. Right. Like, uh, mm -hmm. like, like I, I still think one of my favorite ones, even though I don't think it's quite earned. I think the ending <gasps> of the fog is like great. Like, I think it's, uh, it kind of, you need a little bit more setup, but that ending, this leaves you like, oh no, shit's about to happen again. Right. And, uh, the ending to the thing is like perfect though. My wife doesn't like it cause she doesn't know who it is. And I'm like, try to argue with her. That's not the point. We, right. we, we, um, we're still married. We don't talk about that that much anymore. But, um, so what I'm saying right. is like, <laughs> The end of this is like it's it's this nice self-contained thing, but the idea that um you know it's very easy for the rest of us to um like like in terms of a self-made reality, 
like this is just hinting at like, well, this could happen in terms like maybe not like the old ones or or you know this like the world tearing itself apart, but you know it's very easy to believe what you believe, and then the world around you changes, and like what do you do about it? Like I think in terms of I mean it's a self-contained story. I mean you just you put the Blu-ray away and you're fine. This isn't like this isn't Sutter right. Kane coming into our world, but. You know, I think it's supposed to make us question sometimes like, well, okay, is this reality? Is it not? And I think there's a lot of fun to be had there. I mean, well, in terms of us discussing things, not as in day to day, cause that would be very upsetting. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I mean, yeah, basically, basically what I'm doing is asking like that dumb, that dumb, like, you know, stoner uh, college dorm room question of like, whoa, man, is what, what is, is the movie effect- is real? Yeah. yeah. What is it? Yeah. Sorry, Steve. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, Paul, we had a very similar discussion about this, uh, I think, a week or two back uh, when uh, I brought up that you and I had both watched This Place Rules because I, I you know, told you that on that episode that my wife and I had a discussion where I turned to her. I'm like, well, you know, it, it seems obviously crazy to me, some of this stuff. But I'm like, I wonder if I'm so locked into my own view that, like, maybe that's part of the problem. You well, know, I mean, just, I don't think that it is, but I mean, it's I'm questioning it. I'm like, you know, is that, you know, is that part of why we are so divided? You're talking uh, I about get it. I'm not yeah. saying that I need to get to a place where I've got to buy into some crazy bullshit about a green M&M. But like, <laughs> you know, I. I <laughs> I do wonder sometimes like, well, am I just so locked into my own view that I can't, I can't see things from other people's point of view. And, uh, I think that's probably if I'm making a world real world comparison, you know, I think that that might be a place where we are, where sometimes I think we just get so locked into our, our own point of views or the, or the realities that we think we're living in that, you know, the bigger picture gets lost because we're so focused on our own, point of view mm-hmm. does, does that make sense i just want to mention you're mentioning the andrew callahan documentary on hbo max this place rules if people don't know what you're talking about because that's a very challenging i mean i think that i think there's bits of that movie that are really entertaining but it's a different look at the world right in terms of like yeah. um and it's very challenging to see uh ecosystems that's what we talked about on the show previously about like what you choose to live in and what reality you choose to exist in now especially with like did you guys see that the story that um buzzfeed is actually going to just just use ai to generate articles going forward at all like yeah that's, like, that's crazy yeah yeah um and it's like all right well it's getting like the the snake's not only eating itself it's um i, I guess uh I, I guess it, out. yeah, it's like, it's <laughs> well, wait, it, yeah. well, will the AI also be able to create quizzes that'll tell me my age based on my McDonald's order? Yes. <laughs> will that be, it's like, I, I'm pretty sure that's the only way those existed in the first place, but, but yeah, it always tells me my, I mean, my age is always, I'm dead two months ago. Why would like, why? <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. Algorithm, algorithm entertainment. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's a valid point. And I think this, this is one of those ones that if you really like, and like, you know, Nathaniel, yeah, this is the dorm room. Like, yeah. Like, but what if, you know, but like God spelled backwards as dog. You're like, Oh, 
shit. You know, like I no, like this is, this is the, like, you know, and I'm not, I'm not diminishing your question. I think that, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, there is, there was also another, another Stephen King short story that was, um, I forget the name of it now, but it was basically like, uh, you, there was a hard boiled detective that figured out that he was in a story and actually, um, got out and put the writer in the story, but then he yeah. got out into the real world. Then the thing is like, as soon as he got out, he like, I think he immediately shit himself or whatever, because he didn't like, cause there was never an explanation about how the body works because it was a story and he had to figure out how to live his life after breaking out of the story. Like it's just, there's a lot of that too, where it's at play. And I don't, I mean, maybe the shitting himself didn't happen, but I'd like to think so. Um, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know Stephen but, King, there's a 50, 50 shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I think they adapted that for uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes the TV series with William H. Macy, I think. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, then, all right. Then I've not seen any of those. I need to, but okay. So, yeah. so yeah, it just, I, I think this idea of playing with like, you know, what, um, like even something like, I mean, not to, not to go off in a different tangent, but something like fight club too, where it breaks, like it changes your perspective of like reality and the story, like the, the, yeah. what's being told to you. Um, you know, I think these are, I think these are interesting stories. If they're done well, I think they have a lot of worth. Um, I think it's always healthy to like question, like, you know, where, like where you're going and where, like where, where it's leading. But I think it's a very fun playground to play in as long as you, we all have the, like, you know, we could all agree that this is a thought of ex- the thought experiment, not a manifesto. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good that's a really good point. And I mean, I have an, I have a couple of other like dumb like what do you guys think uh, questions. But um, it's uh, like uh, you know who who or what was real before any of this started in the narrative. Like was John Trent entirely created by Sutter Kane, or was he an actual guy prior? Was Sutter Kane existing before Sutter Kane existed? Uh, it's as odd as question as that is. Um, cause that's something I always wondered about, you know, I'm watching this movie going, well, Sutter Kane, John Trent had never heard of Sutter Kane. And then they say, but he's actually the, he's the widest, most widely read author of the 20th century and how he didn't, had never heard of him before is I'm like, well, did he exist before? Did John Trent exist before? Um, it's all little things like that that are, again, they're dumb dorm room, you know, get stoned and, and contemplate your navel. Uh, it would have been nice if when Sam Neill opens up the manuscript and the very first page is the opening of like him interrogating or, or or even saying montage book being completed or whatever, like, like, like whatever, if it would actually been the first few minutes of the movie and him just Mm. like flipping through it and be like, Oh shit. Like I did not, I literally did not exist until this moment or him like not knowing that, you know, like that would have been, I think maybe that's a little too on the nose, but that would have been something to consider like your question. Well, I think, yeah, that and been, I think, know. I think that's what his mental breakdown at the end, you know, where he's in the theater laughing and, and crying is that he realizes, Oh shit, I'm just a character, you know, I'm, well, I'm could, not, I'm yeah. not an actual person. Well, Cause even styles was like, I've seen the ending. I don't, I'm not there. And like, she right. like leaves, right? Like, yeah. Also, like I, as much as I found out in the trivia that those keys that she ate were macaroni, I don't, I don't ever want to see someone trying to eat keys ever again. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. all right. Ugh. Yeah. The, yeah the, I, I just think John Trent's a Dean Coots fan, and that's <laughs> yeah, that's all there is yeah. to it. Yeah. 
<laughs> He's like, I've not read Sutter Kane. I'd prefer um, the other author that's written some okay books, but not a lot of good ones. Um, and he always has to find convenient endings for everything. Like, yeah. I love but, Coons, but. <laughs> but Trent had heard of Stephen King. That's what's that's interesting, too, though. Like, so, he's like, you know, well, you think a guy who outsells Stephen King could get better representation. So you if, know, if, uh, if, the, if the thought is, is that, um, like, the best known author is the one that gets to create reality, um, are we just waiting for, like, E.L. James or Stephanie Myers to just destroy us? Is that what's <laughs> going, like, is that what we're asking for? Is that, you know, Jesus. Who's he? Who's E.L. James? Uh, uh, EL, like, what's her name? Uh, she's the one who wrote the Fifty Shades of Grey ones. Oh, uh, LG, okay. yeah, 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 which was the fan fiction of Twilight. So the snake is Twilight. eating itself. Um, yeah. Or Dan Brown. Like, what like, Dan, is Dan Brown's reality? Are we now like, you know, oh, God, I don't want to live in that world either. <laughs> yeah. you know? I'm not living in an in in E.L. James reality. This is not reality. <laughs> not reality. Not reality. None of us. None of us are that horny. It's fine. Like, let's just accept it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I am not a sparkling vampire. <laughs> This is not reality, not reality, not reality. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's, yeah. I mean, that, that's a terrifying thought too. It would be like, well, geez, you know, he says like, God's not supposed to be a hack horror writer. And I'm like, it's probably worse than that. Um, but, uh, you know, the writer who gets to change reality is like, you know, uh, you know, I mean, even like, you know, we talked about like J.K. Rowling, Dr. Seuss. you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, we mentioned her you in know. passing, like, yeah, like magic's real, but trans people aren't like, what? Like, where? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh. And, yeah. and anyway. there are slaves and, uh, and, and Jewish bankers and, um, yeah, but, uh, thanks J.K. Rowling. Um, <laughs> but, um, sorry, I, yeah. I, I apologize. Anyway, you have other things you want to say. Uh, no, yeah. no, I, 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 but no, I just was like, I, I find it interesting just uh, to, to, as one of those like dumb thought experiment concepts of like, you know, so I don't, I don't know if I entirely buy Sutter Kane was actually a real guy that maybe the, the, uh, that is possible. John Trent might be the only one who's actually real and his entire reality has changed to the point where he's no longer real. Um, but again, that's all wankery. You know, it's not actually text. It's just, you know, metafictional uh, silliness. But um, I like to switch gears to some actual concrete stuff, if people are cool with that. Um, like, uh, uh, I dig uh, the effects work in this movie. And I know that that's something I think is near and dear to all all four of us. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the gags. Um What's your what's your guys' favorite, Sam? What's your favorite gag in this movie? Uh, it's a real simple one, but uh, it, it works really well. It's the uh, the eyes, those those dual eyeballs that uh, when they do a close up on any of the people who have been taken over by Sutter Kane's uh, nonsense, they have those weird like they're not like, they're not separate irises. yeah they're not separate retinas, but they're like um like a, um almost split like uh like a cell yeah. dividing yeah. It's a real effective effect, and uh, I'd, I'd give it up for that one. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Steve? Uh, I think my favorite is probably that that shot because you don't really see, you, like you see the monsters, but you don't see the monsters. That shot of him running away down the tunnel, like I love that shot so much. And they're just all behind him, and before he blinks out, it's like you get good shots of some of them, but not all of them. And there's just right. enough implied there that it's just. Like, oh, you can just imagine the awfulness of, of what's behind him. Uh, 
the one the and I I want to say this because I I I don't want to be like oh here's my favorite and then here's my least favorite because I do think that this movie is amazing. I love all of the effects in it. The one effect that that doesn't work so much is when uh, Styles is contorted and on all fours. It's clearly somebody just wearing a mask on top of the top right. of their head. And it's just like if they had cut away from it or maybe shot it from a different angle, it might have worked better. But it's like it's it just it's it's off putting. Don't get me wrong, but it's just enough off to be able to, like, see the seams and be like, oh, yeah, I can tell what they're doing here. And it just doesn't look good, unfortunately. Right. Um, they do linger on. They do like one more shot of it. Uh, and what that one last shot doesn't work. But I remember, but I, it's my favorite gag in the movie. Um, and um, uh, Lori watched it when Lori was watching it. She loved that gag too. But I do agree with you. I think that, but that they do one more, sh- one more shot than necessary. And it's basically when she starts to kind of get up, and then you're like, okay, you got a mask, an upside down mask on your head. Um, right. Prior to that, I think it really works. Uh, you know. Uh, but the same thing with that shot of him running down the hallway. If memory serves, the commentary talks about John Carpenter talks about those things looked awful. Um, they didn't move very well. Mm-hmm. And so like it, he shot it the way they shot it was designed to hide all that. Cause they basically just had like, it was some, they were these big rubber costumes that didn't really move very well. And they had some guys whip some tentacles around. So that in the shots, you could kind of see they're basically like on a, uh, like a conveyor belt just being kind of pushed forward. But if you really pay attention, but you don't pay attention to it cause the, it's so striking in the way they shoot it. That you can be like, oh wow, yeah, I totally believe there are these weird Lovecraftian monsters coming down on him, but they're really like these cheap rubber suits. It's really extraordinary. Yeah. So um, the effects were done um, by Robert Kurtzman, uh, uh, Greg Nicotero, and uh, Howard Berger. This was a, a, like, one are. of their first K and B like things that they did. Yeah. And also, I guess during the trivia when they were doing that hallway sequence, like that big tunnel sequence, that the structure that they were bringing forward rolled over uh, Kurt, Kurtzman's foot and he had to go to the hospital. <laughs> so yeah. that's not great. Anyway, I, um, I don't have the quote in front of me, and I don't remember what documentary it's in. But I very specifically remember Greg Nicotero talking about Carpenter being very impatient of one having to wait about special effects and, and essentially saying, like, it's fine, let's just go. And Nicotero being like, no, like, those are not like the close-up masks. Don't do that. Or, you know, uh, basically wanting special effects before the special effects guys are like, it's good now <laughs> right. kind of thing. Yeah. But I don't get that in this movie. That moment is the only time that I ever really sort of – look at the seams and go, that just doesn't work as well as it could. Well, cause like there was supposed to be the hint, right? Cause they talked about when we went to the Pikmin hotel or the bed and breakfast, whatever it was. Right. And how like the one little area they said in the book, there was this big, like writhing mass of tentacles and the, the townsfolk or whatever. So then whenever you have Sam Neill running out, you just see like one, one monster being like, <laughs> like it was like, it was like, I'm like, I don't think that's the same thing as they described in the book. It's like, it's like right. you could have put a, a, an inflatable wacky wiggler guy, you know, from like nope in there and it'd been like oh that is terrifying but yeah but like at least credit like the like it's like i think the designs were cool but if it's like you if you can't make it work you can't make it work and i think that like to the the you know credit to carpenter and the editing which again was very purposeful was like if you only get glimpses then your brain puts the rest in you know right. like like um you know like <laughs> we're not going to get some of the wonderful goopiness of like you know was it from beyond 
Like we're not going to get right. like that kind of stuff, which that's also something else. It's I didn't even think about. That's very much uh, Lovecraftian, right? And which I know Steve and I talked about year like three or four years ago, um, based on an actual Lovecraft story. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's like we're not going to get all that. Uh, but we do get like. You know, the, the, the kids being all creepy, you know, like um, that's what happens when you take fluoride out of the water, folks. I don't know what that means. Um, you know, and like and then, you know, we get some of the other things going on there. And then I do like the interior of when we get to uh, Kane's writing room of like how like the walls are just basically like. I, they're not living, but they're they're very upsetting looking with the like, especially with like the the like how the matter of fact, like desk and typewriter it's a very good image. And then the swelling door, you know, whatever, yeah. that's fine. Like I get, it's like, I like the idea. It's like, you know, it's always better to, to, to know something's coming and be scared of it than to see what's actually coming through. I thought that was cool. Um, you know, the digital effect of him ripping his face off to become like the ripping of the paper. I, it's the nineties. Like you just kind of have to go with it. Like I'm not, it's a good parallel between that and like, uh, Sam's Neil character always kind of poking at the poster through the movie. Right. Um, the part that made me jump and this makes no sense at all. Cause I was watching this with like with headphones on is whenever styles first goes to, she goes to open the one door and she looks in and sees like nothing like, Oh, there's nothing going on here. And then she closes the door and turns to her right and comes back to that door and opens it. And that's when she sees Kane writing. And then she goes to walk forward and then like a hand falls in front of her. That made me jump. I just, I don't know why it was a good, it was a good gag. Um, in terms of like making me jump, I was kind of hoping that she would open the door a second time and find like a foosball table and be like, Oh, okay, that's not right. <laughs> and come back. But just right. because I wasn't expecting a hand to come like, you know, from like not it's in frame cause it's behind the door frame. Right. It was like, that was, um, that was a good one because Carpenter's really, really good at giving you the really loud noise and something scurrying across the hallway or in the background. Like he's, right. you know, that's one of his things, but that one, I wasn't expecting the hand and that's not, it's not, it's not a practical effect, but that's the one that made me jump in my, my seat while watching it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like most of the, most of the practical effects are solid in this, um, yeah. for what it is. Well, yeah, the, in K and B is always, they're, they're pretty much always good. I can't, I don't know. I mean, it's obviously Sam and I have talked about a billion other movies already. Right. Yeah. Um, to the point that, you know, to the point that if you, even if we didn't know who did it, we probably could have taken a guess and it would have been them. Um, you know, um, well, even the agent swinging the ax at the, the plate glass, which I know is like, you know, it's just, it's an action piece in terms of when we eventually see the pupils, right? Like the way that shot is so like upsetting because you see him coming, but our characters don't notice it. Like right. that's, and I also yeah, love the trivia all the way across the street. Yeah, yeah. And I love the trivia where people are just staring at the glass and it turns out they were just people that didn't know a movie was happening. <laughs> and it's like, I'm like, that also works really well because it's like, it's like, they're all like, what is going on? I'm like, yeah, I think we'd all stop and be like, why does that guy have an ax? And why is he walking right. towards this cafe? It's like, it's yeah. like, oh, we don't have the money for security. Oh, that's just value added. We're good. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a, it's, it's, there's a lot of really cool stuff in this movie that's very literary and that's uh, and that scene always reminds me of like you can see the words on the paper during that scene I think like you can you can see you see the writing in your head I think and it's just a really really fascinating bit um and um yeah I I, I love uh, I I feel like we would be in a sorry Daryl Hannah situation if we didn't mention um rather specifically if we didn't talk about um Julie Carmen um, as, uh, styles 
Um, I think she's I think she's really good in this. The character is very strange. Um, but I remember actually uh, when we were watching it, uh, Lori was like, when he starts like hitting on her, uh, she Lori says like, oh really, Sam? And I went, he's he's a private detective. Of course he's doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I was like, you know, and again, it was one of those things. I was like, you can. He's a fictional character. He's gonna do the do the PI thing. This is Jake Gitts. You know, Jake Gittis, you know, he's going to flirt with the girl. But I think she's great. I, I don't know what you guys think of Julie Carmen uh, as Styles or the character of Styles. Um, I I don't like that she just all of a sudden left. <laughs> That's a little weird, yeah. Yeah. It's, she does disappear I, from the narrative. I mean, they uh, they explain it, but, you know, it, it felt like, a, like they just kind of papered over it. Um, it's like they just, like... Well, we don't have anything else for her to do, so let's just let's just forget she existed. But <laughs> um, you know, I I don't know how to fix that exactly, but it, it was one of the things that you know kind of irked me on this watch through that they just like they took your your female lead and just like dropped her completely. You know, well, she could, she yeah. could punch as, as as well as she can get, right? Same right, deal. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just off and just punched her twice in the face, but he got socked once by her. I'm like, all right, here we go. Yeah. That's right? that's love. Yeah. I don't know if people know that, but that's how love works. That's not true. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if you're Klingon. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, or Sean Connery. Right. Uh, you know. Um, but no, I mean it's uh it's interesting. I think the character of Styles is is interesting, is that uh, we've talked Sam and I have talked about this of course many times about the exposition character and how it's no fun. Uh, to be the exposition character. And that's what she really is. Like, right. she's like, you know, uh, pointing out, like, it's all in the book, Trent. It's all in the book. However, there's some great moments of um, uh, her last sort of gasp of sanity of, uh, don't read it, Trent. I'm losing me. I'm losing me. I think that's fantastic work. Um, it's good screenwriting. It's good acting. Uh, I think it's it's a really, really fantastic bit. Uh, and just... Um, uh, her smirk of the before she just throws him through a door. Uh, I think she just does some really cool stuff. But I think to your point, Sam, about you know her dropping. I realize that you know you call her a female lead, and I'm like, well, in the sense that she's the only woman in the movie. Right. Um, the character isn't given a lot to do ever, yeah. other than uh, you know point out everything's like the book. Uh, and you would think she would have more to do because they they give her so much of the early witness stuff at the beginning of the second act. She, you know, uh, Trent's sleeping during most of the big, scary stuff in the car. Um, you'd think that would be relevant, but instead it was just like, no, actually you're just like stuck as a thrall of Sutter Kane as well. Um, and you're not that important. Um, and it's really kind of, I, I mean, to the point that I think now, if you were to make this movie today, there would be a, a point to that like a point made, like, you know, this is how we treat female characters in, in fiction, how male writers, like how Stephen King treats female characters in this fiction. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think she's a really fun character. Uh, and at least from what we get of her, um, and she's not really a big star. She's not, she's not somebody that I think anybody recognizes from most other things, uh, like Fright Night 2, a couple other things, but uh, in a sea of very recognizable character actors, uh, Julie Carmen is sort of giving giving it a giving it a really good effort to really stand out in a in a very male 
uh, dick swinging movie, I think, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I think it absolutely is that. This is a very male movie. I mean, that's why you get Charlton Heston. Right. <laughs> From my cold, dead hands. Yeah. Um, uh, another problematic individual, of course. Um, but um, What? um but uh but yeah uh i think laurie laurie actually went like oh my god charlton heston and i'm like from my cold dead hands but um i like the idea that after carpenter worked with heston which he said actually he's like he's like our politics don't line up but he was a professional actor and i really enjoyed working with him do you think after being like well you know what charlton heston i got along with him what about that james woods guy i'll get him in for a movie we'll see how it goes right Anyway, <laughs> right. Um, well, even I mean, Heston, I think, looks like a saint compared to Woods. But I mean, like, but um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, Sam and I, it's a it's a relatively coming to the point of being a theme on our show when we talk about character actors. And this movie's full of them, full of some really wonderful character actors. And I love uh, this. Uh, this was a thought that I had this time watching the film. That the first act has, you know, opens basically with David Warner and John Glover uh, being in a scene together. And I went, there's two guys who could have played Sutter Kane. Uh, and I almost wonder if they had been, like, auditioned for Kane and they ended up going with Jurgen Prochno. And they were like, well, since you guys are here anyway. Like, you know, um, but either one of them could have made a hell of a great uh, Sutter Kane, a very different Sutter Kane. But they could have made a really great Sutter Kane. But I love John Glover. Um and obviously the late uh, the late David Warner, uh, who is just fantastic. Uh, and then of course we have Francis Bay, the Marble Rye Lady, as <laughs> her most famous bit. But um, having a, a very memorable uh, uh, moment in that movie with uh, her husband handcuffed to her ankle. Um, very uh, very kinky. But also very not kinky, uh, if that's you know, not your kind of thing. Which Francis Bay, uh, you know, not exactly my kind of thing. But you know, it's it is whatever. I don't know. Somebody else got to jump in here and uh, talk about something here. Uh, I'll just I'll throw out real quick. Uh, Bertie Casey. Anytime he pops up in a movie, uh, puts a smile on my face and. I mean, he doesn't really have anything to do here other than to be the guy who leads. You know, like, if this was Law and Order, he'd be the guy who leads you to the guy who leads you to the guy. Um, and then, obviously, Peter Jason. Uh, yeah. He comes up uh, quite a bit in our Year of Carpenter discussions. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is his last uh, uh, appearance within a Carpenter film, but. Uh, it's always nice to see him when he pops up as well. I wish he would have like when he was like under pressure uh, with the insurance thing to start doing a mouth trumpet, like he did in uh, <laughs> Prince of Darkness, play himself out and be like, "Hey guys, you hear that noise? You hear the music? I gotta go. I got. I can't be here right now. You know, like that would have been a great. Yeah, that would have been a great ending. <laughs> like you know, if you if you're gonna pull a scam, yeah. don't make your wife your partner. Yeah, and if you do. Don't fuck around behind her back. And just like juggling apples and taking a bite out of one and just leaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's, uh, he's really great. I, uh, uh, and he's always a great, uh, a great character actor. I actually had noted, um, I'd watched the riff tracks of mortal Kombat again, not too long ago. And he's in that for one line, um, for no reason. 
Uh, literally no reason the movie this scene did not need him to be in it. Um, but which uh, which Mortal Kombat like the one from the nineties or the one yeah. from like a year or two ago? Okay, the one from the nineties. Yeah, he appears in that. Um, he he's the guy who comes to tell Johnny Cage about the uh, uh, tournament. And then he turns into Shang Tsung later when Johnny Cage isn't looking. And I went, but Johnny Cage had no idea what Shang Tsung looked like. So it could have just been, he could have just shown up and said, by the way, go to this tournament. Wouldn't it but, have been better if this Peter Jason was Shang Tsung, Shang Tsung in that movie? That would have been amazing. Like, you know, you already yeah, have Christopher yeah. Lambert playing Raiden. Yeah, I mean, American play. Uh, clearly. This is a joke in that riff tracks of like, you know, when Raiden shows up and they all bow down and, uh, and Liu Kang goes, really? And then Mike Nelson adds, a white guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, He's, yeah. The the uh, the the Chinese god of thunder is a uh, a white man. Um, anyway, but that's Mortal Kombat. Uh, but yes, no, I agree. Uh, uh, it would have been great for the ending of that opening scene to have a uh, mouth trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> in the mouth um, of trumpet. That's the that's in the true. mouth of trumpet. Yeah. 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 Um, um, but yeah, I mean, a great cast. Obviously, Jurgen Prochna, uh, very very phenomenal actor. We mentioned Vigo Carpathian. He has a real name, but it's just he's just Vigo the Carpathian. Right. Um, uh, you know, he's the you are the buzzings of flies to him. It's just the guy. I just he has like an angry potato face, but it's so memorable, and you got yeah. you just got to appreciate it. You know, like um, absolutely. Yeah. Also, I like that whenever they confronted Sutter Kane at the church, he sent out a bunch of Dobermans, and it's like I kept expecting like a line from The Simpsons of like you know send out the send out the Dobermans and the bees, but the Dobermans with the bees in their mouth, bees and when they mouth. bite you, they'll they'll you know bite bees at you, or whatever. <laughs> the hounds, right? The hounds with their bees in their mouth. The hounds with, uh, with the bees in their mouths, and when they bark, they shoot bees at you. Yeah, I was expecting that. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. But uh, it's it's just you know. Anyway, I, I know I'm, I'm going off track, but like, yeah, just. There's a lot in this film I like a great deal. Um, I yeah. think a lot of people will point out that those people would consider this to be like the last great Carpenter film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's entirely true because, I mean, we'll get to some of the stuff later. But in terms of like the oeuvre, right, of Carpenter, I think that there is a certain fandom of like they hold close like a, like a certain number of the highs and don't consider anything else. I, and, and, and Steve, you're talking about like, why don't people talk about this? I think this is the one that's always like the last one they let in before they close the barn door of like carpenters, like, you know what they consider his good works. Right. So, um, and, 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 and the book here we've been reading from they like the, the author here considers this like, you know, like, you know, a, a wonderful return to form and like a, a film worthy of discussion. Um, it's just, it's interesting because this isn't the end of his career, but it's like, this is certainly like there's a plateau, right? And then after this, we go from here to um, the next film that like we'll be talking about on our show is village of the damned, which is um, not perfect, but there's some goodness in there. Um, and then, you know, we go from there to escape from LA and some other things. Right. So um, it gets Vampires, a little bit more wobbly. Yeah, go to Mars, go to Mars, yeah. which I've not seen all the, the way Ward. through. Oh, I've seen the word. Oh, yeah. Um, and then whatever. So yeah, like, this is like, I think this is where when people talk about Carpenter, I think this is a lot of where their discussions stop. And I don't know if that's entirely fair, um, but I can see what this should be in the consideration of like, of, of his works. This is one that should always be in the conversation of like, Oh, do you like, do you read Sutter Kane? I'm sorry. Do you watch John Carpenter? This is one of the ones that should be put into this conversation. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. It's, It's weird that this, you know, this film being as good as it is, um, is, you know, kind of considered like, you know, middling in, in John Carpenter's career. 
um, I think that speaks to just like how high the highs are in his career that, you know, people would think that this is just kind of like, you know, one of his mad movies. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't agree. I think it should be like up there with, you know, his other great movies, but I agree. Um, it's just weird that, you know, how this one is kind of like, you know, not looked down upon, but like kind of undervalued. It's almost an afterthought. Which is yeah, weird. Yeah, right. yeah, I don't understand. That's like, uh, speaking to what you guys have been talking about. That's confusing to me. You know, like it should be in the conversation. And I it's, think if it was another director or, or or another you know actor, if we were talking about Sam Neill's career, because it's kind of forgotten in that as well. Yeah. Um, I think if it was another person. You know, this would be like, oh my god, have you seen this? You know, whereas whereas with these ones, they're so good that they're like, oh like, yeah, and then there's this. You know, let's, let's see if we can get this re-released by a 24 and people might talk about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was hoping is like, you know, uh, these days it has a tendency that it, it, uh, there's a tendency whenever shutter kind of puts something up, the horror fans online get like, uh, usually go nuts for a thing for mm-hmm. this type of thing. And Sam, excuse me, Sam and I've talked about that where it's, that's both a blessing and a curse. We're on, you know, um, one where it always starts with a very well-meaning uh, and very positive, like, hey, this movie's actually pretty good. And then it turns into, like, it's the greatest movie ever made, and that's when things go crazy. Um, but I feel like in, in this movie, it has, just hasn't happened within the mouth of madness, and I find right. that to be very strange. I think the it's, movie that you're referring to is is uh, Halloween 3, because yes. uh, that was a movie that everyone hated, and then some people, some, at some point people changed their minds, and now it's the greatest thing ever. Like if it's your favorite movie, yeah, it's fine. But like, let's you know, let, let's calm down a little bit on the Halloween. Exactly, three. it's a yeah. good movie, but it's yes. yeah, yeah. And Exorcist Three is the same way. We talked about that very, very specifically when we talked about Exorcist Three, where that's a movie that, for whatever reason, like people recently, like gravitated towards it and said, and it was pretty much when Shutter released it, and they were like, "Yep, uh, it's oh my god, it's an, an unheralded masterpiece, and it's the most brilliant movie ever." And I went, "It's." It's good, but let's not like go nuts. It has one, like, no, it's better than the exorcist. I'm like, you no. shut your mouth. It has one Sorry. amazing scene that makes me uncomfortable. The, like for the entire time that's there. It's the one at, you know, the hospital George C. Scott eating. Yes, that too. <laughs> no, um, it's the hospital sequence that just like lingers and you, everyone knows what I'm talking about. If you've seen it, yep. yeah. that's yeah. the one that always sets me on edge and it's amazing. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and there's, I mean, Exorcist Three is a good movie. It's a, and maybe even a great one, but uh, but it gets over the top with yeah. uh, the praise for it. But which is my point? I was like, I'm surprised that hasn't happened within yeah. the mouth of madness. Like, I feel like it's a movie that does, and I've been, and I think that's kind of happened with Prince of Darkness, but not within the mouth of madness. Yeah. Which I think is, uh, I watched. Uh, I actually watched uh, Prince of Darkness with Lori a couple weeks ago. She hated it. She thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> And I'm like, I, I'm like, I love this movie. And she's like, no, it's, it's terrible. And I'm like, okay. Like, um, but, um, but no, I think to Sam's point where they were like, you know, also it gets lumped in with the apocalypse trilogy and it's considered often to be the least of them. And I'm like, actually, I think it's better than Prince of Darkness. Um, you might not be with you there. I think it's better than Prince of Darkness as well. Yeah. I don't know if it's, uh, if it's objectively better than the thing, but I like, I like it better than the thing. Um, uh, but like I said, this is my favorite Carpenter film. Uh, it's, um, it's just 
but that's mostly because that's my kind of movie. But isn't that kind of interesting that like, this is the kind of creator that I don't know of too many other, um, like, like people that have such a large filmography that the, the, um, people's favorites are different. You know, like there's a lot of like a lot of agreement. Like, I mean, you get somebody like Hitchcock that produced, I think a last, a last count, 876 movies. Um, so there's going to be some, you know, some division there, but like, you know, this, like, like, again, like my favorites, the thing, uh, your, your favorites in the mouth of madness, Steve's favorites is, uh, you know, Halloween and, and Sam, I don't know what your, your favorite is. Um, you know, I'm going to get Halloween. There you go. So, uh, two votes against two. I don't know what that means, but again, (laughs) like, just like that says something right. That, you know, even this late, the late in the game, this is your favorite. That's great. Mm -hmm. I, I I really, really dig that, you know? And, um, yeah. So I think that's, it's what, you know, I think the big thing we've been learning about Carpenter is that he's always like, um, right place, wrong time in terms yeah. of like what he makes yeah. and then how the world doesn't seem to understand it. And then later on, it's like, Oh, we all love it. He'd been like, well, it'd have been really great at the time. If you had told me that, cause my life would have yeah. been better or sorry, yeah. different, you know, yeah. I, mean, I think he's okay eating, sure. yeah, eating chicken and smoking cigarettes and playing video games. And I think he's perfectly okay with that, you know, but anyway, yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, and uh, obviously this is our uh, this is our last stop on at the at the devil's ball on our uh, Sam Neill ode to Sam Neill journey, um, and that's been a blast. These have been great films, uh, but as great, even though Possession is almost certainly the better film. I mean, obviously it's the better film. Um, uh, this movie is is to me it's still one of the the great Sam Neill performances, and. Um, I don't feel like it gets brought up. People bring up Event Horizon, but they don't bring up Sam Neill in Event Horizon. They oh. bring up Event Horizon. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's a shame because, like, he yeah, he's really good in that. Yeah, he's really good in that, mm. and um, and he and uh, he's really good in this. And uh, I don't think this ending. I think maybe this is where we'll wrap up. I wanted to talk a little bit about the ending. Um, that I don't think the ending works without him. Uh, that that shot which was added later wasn't the original uh, original ending of this picture of him watching the film and then laughing and then he starts to cry uh it's i think it's the best moment of sam neill's career it's so good um i watched that again and i was like it's it gives me goosebumps every time and i'm like it's perfectly encapsulates uh going mad Right. Truly going mad, uh, which is something very uh, most actors I think would struggle with. And Sam Neill's like, no, I got it. Uh, it's this, and it really is. It's a profile shot. It's it's close up. It's an ultra close up, and he has that one moment where he's laughing, and then he stops for a second. His eyes open and then close. He widens his eyes, closes his eyes, and then there's like spittle, and he just mm-hmm. turns to cry. Oh God! Like it's uh, it's such a phenomenal bit. Uh, the original ending, of course, was you might have seen it. Um, it the picture, the closest thing to this movie going viral was this picture went around, which showed uh, there was a originally Styles is sitting behind him in the theater. I don't know if you've seen these screenshots, guys. No. But, oh. Uh, Styles sitting behind him with that eye effect that Sam mentioned, and she I sits with him and she says something to him like I told you so, or something like that. And then a tentacle comes up through his popcorn bag and oh. uh, hits him. That was the original ending of the picture. Um, I'm not sure why they changed it, uh, but I think they'd made the right call. Yeah. 
Um, but that was originally supposed to be that Styles was supposed to pop up again in the theater and and kind of uh, nail home, you know, nail it in that uh, you know he's always been a pawn or what have you. So, um, quick question: Do you know yeah. did they shoot that and do it at the same time and do an alternate of just Sam by himself, or did they literally do like a reshoot? Do you know? I don't know. Um, okay. Yeah, I uh, I actually kind of hope Paul might have had some insight on that if you read the book, or if Sam had had uh, come across. I know Sam does some no, research I sometimes. I hadn't gotten, I hadn't come across that. No. Yeah, but yeah, uh, there was a screenshot of it. That's where I found out about it. Was I saw oh. the screenshot online? Was like it was styled. I'm like, wait, she wasn't in that scene. What the hell is this? And I tried to find information about it. The most I found was that there was apparently the original ending was her. Uh, she says something. She's sitting behind. She says something to him, and then they had a, a, a jump scare, ostensibly. Yeah. To finish now, the film. Um, I don't have that in my notes. I just have at one point here. Uh, Charlton Heston found the Statue of Liberty at the very end. Uh, yeah, and yeah. That's, um, I, I read about that one too. Um, <laughs> uh, or that I also read there was another one where Samuel was just watching Planet of the Apes and started to have the same reaction. <laughs> um, uh, he was watching. He ended and, up watching um, the the later one, the uh, the one you know, um, Mark Wahlberg. The, one, yeah, the Mark Wahlberg yeah. one that didn't even was it didn't even happen yet, and he was just like, nope. you know, yeah. <laughs> he, it was the it was the uh, that there was a uh, I think another version too where uh, Samuel was watching the uh, uh, interview from Bowling from Columbine. Oh, Jesus, um, with Heston, with Heston. Uh, yeah. oh, man. Yeah. Um, but no, it's uh, I think I, that. I think that did was a viral joke for a little while of uh, they you could just insert any other movie into that ending and it would always be funny. That's like fair. he would laugh and laugh and start crying. I think that people were editing those together for at one point that it was, you know, uh, you know, he would be watching it. It would turn out to be like the Brady, but <laughs> oh God, like, but, um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that uh, that ending for me, clinches uh, Sam Neill's uh, filmography for me. I don't know what you guys think about it. I think it's a perfect ending. I mean, yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go. No, Your shit. No, 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 no. No, no, go. no, 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 no. I, I was going to make a shitty Jurassic World part uh, uh, joke. So, like, oh, okay. uh, we did that already. So please do. Yeah. I was just going to say his finest moment was fighting gigantic locusts in a Jurassic Park movie where you're like, why are there yeah. gigantic locusts in this movie? But <laughs> now I've stepped on my own joke. So, no, 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 we made it. We made a Jurassic World joke already. Uh, our first, when we did Event Horizon at the beginning of this month, I talked about, you know, Sam Neill as an actor. And if you want to see him not act, go watch Jurassic World. Right. Uh, uh, because he is, uh, it's not acting. He's just that annoyed. Um, like the, the annoyance of Alan Grant in that movie is just Sam Neill kind of being like, <laughs> I'm cashing a paycheck. Uh, this script is awful. And he's just nonplussed the whole film. And it's basically, I, I, I'm like, he's not acting. He's just a grouchy old man who's <laughs> stuck in this movie. But, but any, any, uh, Paul, any other, any thoughts on the sending, Sam? No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, no. Sam. No, I'm good. No, I'm good. I know it's it's just it's like again it's very much like I like that Carpenter is always like yeah I'm gonna leave you like um like I'm gonna catch you a little off guard and this is the way that like his I love that his movies kind of end just like that like you know it's like you know yeah. we're like you know the handful of times like um you know I, you know his most hopeful movie is Starman right and it's like that one ends on like a but even then you don't know what's really coming next 
You know, it's like, you know, Karen Allen's kind of left at the bottom of that basin and there's the government and, you know, he's gone. He's like, hey, by the way, I, I gave you a baby and I'm out of here. Like, okay, great. Can I, like, how do you get child oh, support Paul, you're thinking, from space? Paul, you're thinking about Superman Returns again. <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry. I may am getting my movies confused. No, uh, no, <laughs> I gave you a baby. Good luck. Good luck. I'm uh, out of here. Yeah. Thanks, anyway. Superman. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. can't. You can't garnish my wages because Krypton doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. I'll tell you about that. Anyway, um, no. Just uh, no. Like it's just you know. I think um, you know he he does like leaving you like oh man like that things are like we're screwed like you know like thinking about uh, Prince of Darkness which again you know I do like that movie but that ending is it is a humdinger of an ending uh, and, and yeah. the, like in the thing I one of my favorite endings ever it's just, I I like this one too because it's like you know um, you know we're we're in on the joke but the joke's no longer funny. You know, like, I think that's kind of where it's like, it's becoming, it, it's like, it is a joke, but it's like, it's like, you know, your two options are to laugh or cry. And he went through both of them. And I think it's a very that's effective a marvelous way to put it. Yeah. yeah that's actually a marvelous way to put it. You're right. That is the idea. It's the joke. We are in on the joke and it's not funny anymore. That's a perfect way to put it. Well put. I have my moments. So yeah. um, I have, I have a couple other quick notes here to get through. If you guys can uh, bear with me. So we talked about um, the release of the film being pushed back a few months. Um, it was released in February, which, you know, like there's no reason given and the author doesn't understand other than their suspect that New Line didn't have much faith in the picture. And that was dumped in like the barrel ground of February, mm -hmm. which that's been changing yeah. recently, but that's been typically where we're at. Um, yeah. so then the movie didn't do very well. It made 9 million versus a budget of 8 million. And so the big thing is that since new line didn't put as like a ton of money in, it didn't have like, it didn't, it wasn't like, you know, it, it was a failure, but it wasn't like, you know, this big resounding failure. Right. So at least there was that, but, uh, Carpenter at the time, and this goes back to when we were talking about, uh, earlier about when, when we've been discussing like the film, like the menu being a horror film or not. There was a quote I wanted to read to you that like he actually um, at the time like after this movie came out he's like I'll tell you this uh, it, it's it's a really bad time for horror he's like it's a terrible time for horror writing he's like I was just at a horror writers convention in New York I gave a speech there it's just not working anymore nobody wants to read it anymore as for the movies a lot of the techniques and story elements have been stolen by mainstream action pictures he's like look at Fatal Attraction it was basically a horror attack scene at the end. That's all been done. What horror um, has to do, as far as I'm concerned, is turn a corner and come up with something fresh, which I think that says a lot about, like, he was like, you know what, I'm trying, but a lot of what we've had that's worked, the mainstream or, like, the bigger, like, Hollywood machine was like, oh, horror films, like, we're, we're going to turn our nose down at them, but we're going to take things and we're going to use it. And we're going to make this effective. And people are like, oh, that was harrowing. That was upsetting. Yeah, horror did it first. Like, like. So basically he's like, they're taking all of our ideas. We need to freshen up because what we're doing is no longer working because everybody else is taking from us. And I'm not saying the menu is one of those films that took, but it's like films like the menu wouldn't exist if there weren't there, if there wasn't already a horror foundation for people to learn from. You know what I mean? So I think his, his quote here in regards to this film not being successful is very, um, you know, precedent. So anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to get there too. And then also reviewers were mixed as always. And, um, that would uh, lead to him, um, having to then go on to his next film, which was uh, an, a contractual obligation to make a film, which is called village of the damned, which Steve and I will dig yeah. into next month. I know he's excited about that. I it's am. actually I, not. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Steve. No, I was just gonna say, I think it's 
Christopher Reeve's last performance before the accident. It is. Uh, I could be wrong on that. But, no, you're right. Um, mm-hmm. I very much remember watching the trailer for that movie and seeing it and being like, God, he could probably still play Superman, even though I was unaware at the time. Like In my head, time did not work the way it does where you get to have like you know Hugh Jackman be Wolverine for 20 years. You know? Right. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into that and I'm, uh, being such a Christopher Reeve fan, uh, of, of his, uh, performance of Superman, I am eager to check out, uh, uh, and that makes it sound like he only did Superman. My apologies. I was trying to just briefly throw that in there and yeah. I stumbled on it. So, uh, looking forward to checking it out. Well, you know who else is in that movie? Kirstie Alley. Uh, <laughs> no, I did not realize that. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, I like that your enthusiasm uh, was like, oh, oh, oh. Well, no, uh, <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there's, just, there's a you know. certain, there's a certain Bespin. Oh yeah, Mark uh, Hamill's in it too. Yeah, Mark, there's a Bespin yeah, look in Mark there. Hamill as well, is yeah. in, Mark Hamill is in Village of the Damned. Yeah. Yeah. Oh um, my god. I, I, yeah. We may or may not see his balls in that as well. So I don't know <laughs> about that. Fingers <laughs> for not. <laughs> anyway, Sam, uh, you were gonna you were gonna say something about the Sam Neill performance and stuff, uh, uh, and then I want to get back to Paul's point on the quote. But did you have uh, something you wanted to share? Um, no, I think I already shared it. I just it's just weird to me that you like like I said that this this is a forgotten kind of film almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's like a really you know powerful performance by Sam Neill and. Uh, not enough people have seen it. Mm-hmm. No, it's very film noir. It's very uh, he's he's uh, he's very Jake Giddis. Uh, he has some uh, wonderful wonderful line reads in this picture. Um, but yeah, um, no, I, I do like that quote that you uh, that you said, Paul. I think that's really really interesting to think about. Um, I wonder if I wonder if you would still think that today. Um, <laughs> He probably doesn't give a shit anymore. He's like, you know, yeah, like, you know, yeah. like he's, I, yeah, I bet, he's like, can I just, can I just play music and, and play video games? And then he's like, yeah, that's, you, know, you know, he's probably Although actively playing the dead space update right now. I'm probably just loving his life. And I like Godspeed, yeah. Mr. Carpenter. But no, I just think it's interesting. The idea of like, you know, that the, the genre influenced so many other genres to the point that he would, he would see it as almost like a theft is an interesting, interesting, interesting idea. Um, but yeah, I wonder if that has changed because I don't know if the genre is as, or if modern film is as, um, anxious to, to pull from. Well, I think, I think it's when people use that bullshit statement of elevated horror. I think yeah. that's what you're, I think that's what you're talking about where it's like, oh, well, you know, it's not horror. It's like, you know, this is for, you know, the latte drinkers out there. This is the smart ones, you know, like whatever, you know, right. like, right. you know, like Even I think those, yeah. those were always here. I mean, that's, and that's like kind of the point like in the mouth of madness was that movie. Uh, it's just nobody ever noticed, Yeah, you know? Um, but no, I mean, I think you would uh, in the modern era, other than the fact that as Steve pointed out, this movie moves uh, incredibly quickly. Uh, it has all the hallmarks of a normal of a what might be called an elevated horror film now, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that you know I think probably I, I inadvertently ended up describing elevated horror when I talked about you know stoned dorm room conversations. Uh, I think that's basically a twenty four, but um, or uh, Christopher Nolan, you know, but uh, which is, there's a thief, uh, but <laughs> that's another conversation. Um, 
I, I don't, I, uh, Christopher Nolan, I don't particularly care for because I feel like he, uh, he's just the illusion of depth is what I call it. Um, but where he's doing dumb genre pictures, but trying to pretend they're not genre, dumb genre pictures. But, um, anyway, yeah. Uh, so I think what is that, uh, uh, that might wrap us up. Does anybody have any last thoughts on, uh, on in the mouth of madness? Watch it. It's, it's available on yeah. YouTube for free. Like my, my wife has YouTube premium, so I don't have to watch it with ads, but it's there. Like it's very easily to get to. So people should check it out. Okay. Any, anybody else? Sam, Steve? No. Uh, no, I just, uh, as we do go through the rest of the, the year, Carpenter, I'm hoping, uh, and, and while it was within the last 10 years that I've seen this movie, I'm still hoping for yet another surprise on a Carpenter. So, uh, right. it's going to be interesting getting into the, the rest of his filmography. I think you'll be surprised. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. They're not there. Most of them aren't nearly as bad as I think their reputation suggests. Um, they are, uh, they're awkward films. I think a lot of them, but they, um, they're actually not bad. They're actually, I mean, other than the ward. Like the word is legitimately a bad movie, and I'm sorry about that. But, um, you know, uh, the word is one of those one of those movies that I'm kind of like I can't believe that's his last film kind of thing. Um, but no, I think you'll enjoy it. I think Village of the Dam is a lot of fun. Vampires is a lot of fun. Um, you know, uh, what else would you guys be coming up on? Uh, Ghost of uh, Mars. We'll be covering Ghost of Mars. Yeah. Ghost of Mars. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Um, Escape from LA. Well, well, I love I love Escape from LA. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Escape from LA is actually uh, was pretty fun when I watched it. But yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. That's that's what yep. they yeah. say, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So how do you uh, how do you normally close out Invasion of the Podcast? Well, we'll right we'll, now we're we'll, at two hours and fifteen minutes, so we normally talk for another hour and fifteen minutes. So if this is what you guys right. want to do. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you why don't you close out invasion and then uh sam will close out at the devil's ball for us uh well normally we close out by just saying you know where people can find us so you can find us on facebook and invasion of the podcast um you know wherever you find your podcast rate and review us be greatly appreciated if you enjoyed this conversation well one you know obviously support at the devil's ball but if you like what we talk about check us out there um i'm going to pitch this to steve right now uh we had not decided what we're doing for our next topic but according to our recording schedule um skinamarink will be available to watch steve did you want to watch that and talk about it next episode do you know what i'm talking about no uh i i have seen uh some very like uh polarizing yes. opinions about that film so yeah yeah, yeah uh I, 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 we can jump into that because i absolutely know nothing about it other than like people either love it or hate it. So yeah. And I think that would yeah. be fertile ground to get into. So, cause it's going to be on shutter by the time we get around to recording our next episode. So I think that's what we'll end up doing. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, but, yeah. My recommendation to both of you with that film is watch it, um, with headphones in pitch, pitch blackness. Like do not just throw this on your TV and kind of chill out with it. You, uh, it's, Am I going to actively it, wet myself? Cause I need to wear proper pants for that. That's what I need to know. Uh, it's a terrifying film. I don't know if it, it doesn't really do that though. It doesn't do jump scary stuff, but no, it I'm might, just, I mean, you don't know what causes me to actively wet myself. You don't know. That is that's true. true. Yeah. I, well, I kind of assume you do that all the time. So yes. I mean, it, uh, like as in right now, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah. no, I just, I, it just seems like it's one of those films. Like we've, like Steve's mentioning, it's very polarizing. Some people have been like, this is amazing. Other people are like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. So that seems like that's, that's right for conversation. So I figured, you know what, why not? It's a horror. One of our roots, 
like why not i think so so i think we're penciling that in uh yeah and then uh steve again i know you already talked about your comic but make, make sure people know how to find that yeah you guys can uh find me on instagram and facebook under the saturday night slasher you can visit our website saturday night slasher.com or you can visit uh etsy uh our etsy store is named art of the slash uh you can buy issues one and two there all right that's it excellent yeah yep well, I want to thank you guys for uh, doing this weird crossover. Uh, it was a lot of fun, obviously. Um, I hope the listeners have, have fun, too. Um, once again, we are at the Devil's Ball. Uh, you can get us wherever podcasts are sold or bought. Uh, no, we're free, though, so don't worry about that. <laughs> like, you go to Mark's, and you're like, oh, I, gotta get, oh, I went to go get like some off-brand strawberries. Oh, podcasts. You just right. put it on your car. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you for listening. I uh, just want to remind you guys to uh, be kind, rewind, but mostly be kind. Thank you. <laughs>